Ooh, oh man, Thorin, it is cold in here. It must be oh, the really? esports okay. winter setting in. I know you saw the news about CLG and TSM. It's really frigid, but you know, the thing that's even colder than esports winter is your glycerin chamber with freeze pipe. Of course, after you put it in the freezer for an entire hour before you smoke, it'll cool the smoke by over 300 degrees Fahrenheit this year is from the Bong XL from Freeze Pipe. Don't have to put the whole thing in. Just take the glycerin chamber out. It is delightful, of course, with 420 coming up. You can take the edge off the eSports winter by getting yourself a Freeze Pipe. Go over to www.thefreezepipe.com and your entire order, you'll get 10% off if you use the code LASTFREENATION. That's LF, actually the code LFN, excuse me. It's on your screen right now. I'm dumb. LFN stands for Last Free Nation. At checkout, 10% off your order, 420 in two weeks enjoy uh i'm sure many of those employees at tsm and clg could use a chill out right now given what's happening unfortunately so the freezepipe.com code elephant thank you yeah just two things i would say to that one is that unlike clg and tsm we want all the smoke that's the point we want it all they can't handle it they're not like freeze pipe with the glycerin chamber and then secondly also, when Monty talked about that specific one there, the Bong XL, don't get confused with like the people who are fucking up that LEC team. XL, who are a bunch of Brit Bong <laughs> idiots. Like that's a totally different thing. And they also can't handle all the smoke, as you'll soon find out. That's a little breadcrumb because of that might be coming to my channel soon. So there you go. Oh boy. <laughs> there you go. Uh, the teasers. At, so I, I thought that was a good transition. Uh, yeah. Uh, very unfortunate uh, that we are facing what's going on with TSM and CLG right now, which is obviously going to be probably a large part of this show is the meta discussion about what's yeah. happening uh clg the news dropped yesterday from uh journalist of convenience travis gafford i've noticed that when it when it's when it's when it's beneficial for him he's a journalist and actually brings information but when it's not beneficial for him he claims he's a content creator and not a journalist it's crazy how that works also, I will just throw this out there. Like, one thing Travis never seemed to understand, even though he actually nailed it on the Danny Kit situation. I agree with Richard's position. Travis is correct. He's actually right that since he knows he has an obvious conflict of interest that he dated one of the main people accused of doing the things to Danny, it's actually totally correct to essentially recuse yourself and say, I will not speak on this topic at all. Now, by the way, that's better, by the way, guys, than if he'd have come out with some mealy mouth thing like, oh, sorry about all the people, like Captain Flag, sorry about all the people who got wrecked but you don't say the name. That's way more conspicuous. Also, if he'd have come out and said something, you know, it's not a big deal. It's, just, it's actually way better that he said nothing. The problem is this. It does also infer the following, which people don't want to have to think about, which is you're hardly totally neutral when it comes to CLG, TSM, right, Travis? You know, you were literally like blacklisted once from your livelihood by TSM. You literally used to be friends with all the people who ran CLG, literally personal friends, not wish you were double if Kelby, hot shot oh, yeah. back in the day. Like you had to make it all so all I'll say is when you do leak stuff like that, look, it's all well and good if you're just leaking, like, I heard this. But, like, there's obvious disclaimers you got to put out there, mate. Like, there's, there's connect. you're not just some totally neutral observer. Hmm, what's going on with the CLG team? By the way, to start in on that topic, one thing I want to say at the outset is this. People are really uh, misunderstanding a, a key difference between CLG and TSM, and they're conflating the two issues, which is this. 
TSM is still Reginald to this day, is run yeah. by Reginald. In fact, Riot even themselves essentially said in their investigation around it that one of the conditions of it was Reginald couldn't like interfere with the League of Legends team anymore. They've expressly like told you it's still Reggie. If you don't know, Hotshot hasn't been involved with CLG for many years. I don't know if he, yeah. I don't think he even owns any of yeah. it anymore, runs it right. So uh, I think as far as would, I know I, that I, CLG is in, in some ways essentially CLG the team you all remember that died years ago, actually. Like now this is just the, the corpse died now, you know. <laughs> yeah, but so guys, in case you didn't realize, uh, it's possible that some people still own minority stakes of CLG, but I doubt it. Um, because I, I think just based on the ownership, so they were bought out by Madison Square Garden, which is uh, Jim Dolan's company, and Jim Dolan. This is quite owns... a few years ago, right? This oh, what, like yeah, four or I mean, five years was, or something. It was 2016, 2017 that, like that deal yeah. occurred. Yeah, it was it was a long time ago. Um, and the Madison Madison Square Garden company obviously owns Madison Square Garden, the the famous arena in New York City. They also own the New York Rangers NHL hockey team, and they own the Knicks, which is yep. the NBA team. They probably own some other sports teams as well, minor, more minor sports teams. But the point is, is like they're very famous in New York. Jim Dolan is a is a very famous. Um, personality of dubious character I he's essentially say. considered like the if you know the nfl he's like the jerry jones of basketball fit most famously with the knicks like people think he interferes too much as an owner yeah and he does uh <laughs> and he does um so in any case like th when people were like were talking about oh well the clg brand is you know no longer an endemic yep. org or this is such a tragedy it really just isn't no, like it exactly. really, you know, it, it hasn't been the CLG that I coached for or that Hotshot owned in in a long ass time, yep. guys, like six, seven years at this point. Um, and honestly, because the brand was handled so badly by Madison Square Garden, I mean, they didn't, you know, I thought I always thought it was weird that when they bought the company, they didn't actually make it a condition of the buyout to have Hotshot GG as like a mascot yep. or a whatever. Bit like when, if people team. remember when Astralis bought Origin, initially they wanted Expect Evolve for that reason yeah. to sort of keep the branding consistent. Yeah. 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 So like I was really surprised that they didn't actually have a clause in there that would require Hotshot to be active um, and for them to, you know, pay him to do that, obviously, but he would get the enormous buyout as a result yep. of selling to Madison Square Garden. Um, that deal was brokered by a consulting. I didn't do it, uh, but that deal was brokered by a consulting firm that I was working for at the time called Catalyst. Um, so yeah, I was, I was, I was surprised. Um, and they, they really just haven't done much with the brand and they, they haven't really been active. I mean, they have some, they've, one of their keys has always been having the uh, CLG red, like female counter-strike team yep, that has been like true. a pillar of the organization. If we're to believe what Travis is saying, they may be cutting that. Um, Smash has been a game that they've been uh, pretty heavily invested in, but it's notoriously difficult to get uh, returns as a company on fighting game players and especially smash players and the reason why is because when you have all of these open brackets uh for fighting games you can't guarantee that your players are going to get significant airtime because they might just get knocked down in pools or something like that and even if that's not true uh sponsors will leverage that against you to pay oh, lower sure. um so even if you have the greatest player in the world is like 99.9 percent .9 likely to make top 16 or top eight um the sponsor will be like but what if they don't make top eight and then they'll they'll lower those payments and especially in smash too because as you've seen 
uh, Nintendo is famously mer mercurial when it comes to esports, and they basically just canceled the Smash circuit this year all of a sudden. So, yeah, I mean, it, it is tough, I think, to be in, in some of these games that they've been in. And honestly, guys, because CLG was franchised immediately with the league, they would have paid at the time, for those of you who, who remember in 2017, if you were an existing LCS team, you paid $10 million yes, for the discount. LCS license. If you were not, and they brought you in, you paid 12. And then the $2 million difference was paid out to the other LCS teams who were not franchised. So they got a relative bargain. Now, we don't know the sales price because, uh, I mean, we've discussed this before on the show, when FlyQuest sold, um, there was no sales price associated with that. You'll notice, well, that's weird because we, in EU, we saw, you know, oh, it's like $35 million or whatever for 80% of the Misfits slot yep. and Misfits are retaining 20%. So all these numbers were made public. Um, and the, the the LEC slots were sold cheaper. I think they were sold for like $8 million or something like that. Uh, oh, because beginning, viewership, yes. Yeah, the viewership at the time wasn't as high in 2017. So they were discounted compared to LCS slots. Obviously, the reverse of that is now true. Um so when it comes to these numbers, like first off, FlyQuest was bought by a, a private family, so they don't have to disclose anything. But I suspect, I mean, I know the number, but, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to say it, but I suspect that, uh, you know, if, if they were, if the LCS was proud of the fact that these slots had increased significantly in value to the same degree as LEC, it would be in the LCS's best interests to disclose that, oh, this slot also sold for more than an LEC slot or the same as an LEC slot. The reality is, is that LCS has decreased in value relative to the LEC, but it's still worth more than the $10 million they paid for it. So when you think about CLG trying to sell, um, Madison Square Garden and many other endemic sports owners, like traditional sports owners, who got into esports expected larger growth, larger returns, at least a path to sustainability at the moment, which hasn't happened. And some of them are starting to consider leaving. And if you're Madison Square Garden, you know, maybe you could sell CLG hypothetically for like 20 to 25 million potentially. And you probably recoup, you recoup your initial fee. And you probably recoup a lot of the money, if not all of the money that you spent operating this team, because it's not like CLG has been splashing out for the oh, you know, $7 million yes. a year. Like they've been pretty smart about yep. getting value. So maybe they don't, they don't recoup all their money, but they probably recoup most of it. Um, and they exit and they don't have to run this thing anymore. Um, so to me, it seems like it is not that CLG is not that concerning. It is a fully owned traditional sports entity that has decided that they no longer want to be involved in esports. And at the same time, we see one of these traditional sports entities exit. The owners of the Florida Panthers hockey team were the ones who just bought, bought FlyQuest and they're coming in and making an investment in the same space. So like one's coming in, one's leaving. I think, I think now traditional sports owners have a more sober vision of what esports is and like obviously it's it's much better known in the franchise era because we're we're now five years six almost six years into it um what the expected returns are and i think certain traditional sports team owners are going to see this as the original ones should have which is like okay maybe it's a loss leader for now but we're building up our brand and our expertise in the space because esports in 20 years is still going to be huge like it's going to be bigger than it is right now and i think 
the people who are coming in understand that and don't mind potentially losing a little bit of money now to generate brand equity later. And also the other advantage that the traditional sports owners have is that they usually have a lot more money because we're talking about, you know, most people who own traditional sports teams in the United States are like billionaires, right? And so in a world where a lot of these other teams, the endemic esports teams are having to take venture capital. And as we know, venture capital is very difficult to get as Thorne and I are currently experiencing ourselves with LFN. Um, they are having to run leaner, which means that the, the sports owners can kind of spend their way through a recession and actually increase their results, increase their fan bases, have better teams during this, this like esports winter that we're talking about. And it can make sense for them if they're planning on like a, 10 to 20 year timeline, right? Um, they can be very strategic during this era. It's the same thing that we might see ESL do now that they have all the, the money from the Saudi, Saudi Arabian government, which is that as everyone else is struggling, they can lose money now to grow a fan base and grow an audience um, and get an advantage in the future when the market perks up again. So that's kind of what we're dealing with uh, with uh, in, in the very broad and basic strokes uh, with what's going on in the esports scene right now. So you see it, TSM and CLG are very different because TSM is still that endemic team that's funded off of venture capital, and CLG is very much not. They were owned by a traditional uh, sports organization, and that organization wants to exit now, whereas TSM is trying to stay relevant in esports if we're to believe Reginald trying to buy a CSGO team uh, later this year in preparation for Counter-Strike 2. Um, and they have other businesses such as their technology and website businesses with the Blitz app and their website network, et cetera, et cetera. And they may spend, you know, bare minimum as it seems to operate the LCS team right now while searching for a potential buyer. Like the key thing for me as a difference is, as you say, essentially, the people who own CLG are not people who are here because they love League of Legends and it's really important that the brand CLG be in League of Legends and succeed. They're people who were just business people who had an interest. Quite frankly, if you look who they are, it looks to me like, I think it's not even a coincidence they bought CLG guys. CLG famously won their first LCS title in Madison Square Garden in what was quite a famous sort of spectacle at the time for LCS. It was one of the big roadshow events they had as opposed to just being in the studio I've no doubt the Madison Square Garden people saw that and if you were someone like James Dolan you would think I want all the properties that would be around here so let me get a League of Legends team so one day when that becomes a sport like the NFL NHL NBA I've got my team already I could get why that would make sense the thing is now just like a lot of other people economically in hard times, you cut the things you care about the least. So that's why, for example, sponsorship budgets get cut. In this case, next rounds of venture capital don't go to certain teams. And so you might have seen in CSGO, people like Heroic openly saying they need money. That's like putting out the feelers, guys, like anyone would just need the money to continue. So I don't worry that much about the CLG one. The TSM one's the more disturbing one, because as you say, TSM is League of Legends and vice versa in North America. And the key thing for me is this, the people who bought CLG didn't ever go big. As you say, Monty, they had the LCS team because that was the legacy team. Even then, they ran it as a budget roster. And shout yep. out to some of the GMs over those years. They had a couple of lineups that were like third or fourth best in the region that had no business being with the lineups they had, the players they had. Sometimes they went all NA. Sometimes they took in 
like fallen stars that were down on their luck. They did a very good job over the years if you knew their budget yep. to actually stay relevant. So I, that's why it tricked people into thinking it was old CLG, even though it wasn't. But as you say, they were barely in CSGO. They mainly themselves, once CSGO got expensive, just flexed into the way the main ones that have the female angle. If you don't know, they had their female team way before anyone else did because they had people like Miss Harvey oh, yeah. or OG people behind the project. They had Potter and all those people. And then also, as you say, the only other games they really in were fighting games. And I'll give everyone the secret sauce on why these big orgs have fighting games. I learned this from my boss at SK many years ago. Here's what you do, Monty. If you have the budget to, and it makes sense, you buy in the best players from the biggest games to be number one in esports but if you can't do that it actually believe it or not often makes more sense that instead of spending 80% of the budget to get the best team but have the ninth best team in a big game Monty it actually makes more sense sometimes for marketing purposes to just get the best player in a small game so for example my boss at SK used to always have up his sleeve as an ace that even if the CSGO team or the League of Legends team didn't do well or the counts at 1.6 team he could always flex into i have the two best fifa players in the world though they are you know wcg gold medalists and world champions and and he would always have that so that he could always go to his sponsor and say sk gaming houses world champions and it was a way to flex that angle that's why people like clg and when they were here echo fox if you notice the main area their best competitors were in the fighting games where it's one guy or two guys you pay them way less than you pay esports people nowhere near the yeah, lcs yeah. salaries even the minimum lcs salary would probably be the best salary for a smash player that's how ridiculous that scene is but th the point is if that's your whole sort of like portfolio like i've got an average as fuck lcs team i've got a female csgo team so it's not even one that's like competing with all the bigger brands and then i've got a bunch of smash players that means you were always running that on a budget the problem i have is this people are going to think because the results suck for tsm tsm did the same thing they didn't the reason why this is very alarming for tsm is one they have always bragged Quite primarily, it was fucking Lena doing it, but fair enough. They, they all did it as an org. They've always bragged that they're profitable. They even said after the FTX deal initially got a bit dodgy that there was no problem and everything was going to be fine and they were going to remain profitable and sustainable. All those like nightmare fucking terms that people throw out at esports when they don't even mean what they say at the time. Like, how do you remain sustainable without all the money you were promised, you moron? There's nothing to sustain. Do you even, it's even a concept in the game, you dickhead. That would be like, oh, I've got a sustain item. Oh, why is it not giving you health back, Reginald? Ah, do not need it though, don't I? Like, what are you talking about? Like, that's a term. That means something. So basically, if you look at Reginald's angle though, that is a fucking empire falling. That's the end of the, Ro the Roman Empire, Monty. That's just falling in gradually. Because think about this. People are going to think, if you look at the LCS placings, TSM's been on the downturn for years now. Yeah, but how? Remember, they were supposed to, after the double lift lineup that won, get another super team lineup with like double lift and fucking Jensen and Hooney was obviously Hooney did join it, but you know what I mean? It was, it was, sort of, it was gonna be it was gonna be like a super team if you don't know. Then consider this. Not only was double lift willing to come back, but then another angle that people don't miss but I can now reveal because now we know what happened. You know when we had that episode of the four horse milk, Peter Zhang and about all the bullshit he was doing where it seems like he was embezzling money. The darker element that I speculated at was think of this Monty, it's deeper than that. He wasn't just taking the money essentially that decided which player ended up joining the team because if the person yes. talking to him doesn't want to give him the cut they don't yep. get it well do you know what's crazy about that that a lot of this penny hasn't dropped for so many fans Monty go back now guys and look at the names that were rumoured he was talking to this motherfucker chose that bomb ass player over Bo Bob from Vitality was in that mix but I'm going to guess maybe he, his guy or his agent didn't want to give Peter Zhang the money so they didn't pick one of the, like the craziest import like fucking 
pieces of found treasure you'll ever find. They didn't pick him. They picked whoever Peter Zhang told him to do this guy because he was getting his fucking cut off. Or they'll kept speaker then or whatever the fuck it was. Whatever I, angle they took. The point is, TSM hasn't gone super budget. They've, as far as I can tell, and if you know the Sword Art deal, they not only got Sword Art guys, they did such a bad deal with him, Team Liquid style for some reason, because I don't know why they do those. Like the Han Summer one where you go, right, here's an enormous amount of money. Oh, you don't want to play anymore. Just keep it all. See ya. Like, Guys, how are you going to run a business this way? Is it any wonder eventually the hook, like the chickens had to come home to roost? Like it was always going to happen eventually. So to me, I don't buy even the angle, Monty, a team that hasn't given a fuck about Counter-Strike since 2016. I'm supposed to believe now, no, no, it's all right. We're going to go into CS Go. Remember this detail, guys, because this is key. Remember a couple of years ago when Reginald made that stupid tweet saying he'll never let the team get like CLG. He meant in LCS. That's the only context he could have meant. And he said he would sell his car, his house. He did you can't then two or three years later go, I never really cared about league anyway. It's not a big deal in my business. I'm doing fine. I'm going to move into CSGO, a game I've actively ignored for six or seven years. Like the whole TSM thing to me is just so, it's like a house of cards and it's just falling down now, mate. I mean, I agree with what TSM is doing from a business perspective. That's the thing is like, it makes total sense, but also Reginald just straight up lied to his own fan base about what he was doing yep. and what his passion was and his willingness to potentially lose money. Uh, and the lies just kept coming. Like he lied about that, you know, sacrificing everything personally in order to keep this team online. Um, it's just like shocking miss, you know, misspending of money, like spending $6 million on an ultra washed sword art that like we knew was ultra washed. And then, Remember, the reason why Doublelift wasn't on that roster was because Reginald was spitefully punishing yep. Doublelift because Doublelift, you know, committed, then said, oh, I'm not going to commit to being on TSM unless you get Sword Art. And Reginald was like, fuck you, got Sword Art. And Doublelift was like, can I be on the team? And Reginald said, no, fuck you. Like, it was it was spiteful from him. Yep. So that's the reason why that didn't happen. And then this is just, I do have to say, Thor, and this is just, I tweeted this. This is so poetic. But. Isn't it absolutely incredible that TSM's League of Legends team was ultimately destroyed by one of their fans who turned out to be, I know this is, is really uncommon for TSM fans, a fraud and a liar. Because what happened, guys, is that Sam Bankman Freed was a giant League of Legends and TSM fan, and he came and he promised them $210 million over 10 years in order to sponsor the team. And what happened was, that money was a Ponzi scheme and Sam Bankman Freed is going to prison. And ultimately what's funny too, is that TSM lied about the, the FTX deal, not affecting their revenue or, and not affecting their plans. Like you can't tell me it, it, this is so absurd. You cannot tell me that you would be trying to sell the LCS slot. If Sam Bankman Freed was not a fraud, if you were receiving $20 million a year and your sponsor cares about the league of legends team, you would spend money on it because you have the money. And that's what the sponsor wants to see. If you guys remember, it was a big deal when FTX came in because what happened was that TSM announced that their team was going to be called TSM FTX. And they were going to have the sponsorship, particularly with the league of legends team. Yep. And then riot had to come out and say, no, you're not. 
Like they didn't even clear the sponsor with Riot at the time. And they said, no, you're not. You, you cannot do this because we have markets where cryptocurrency can't be advertised. Like if they're broadcasting in China and you're calling the team TSM FTX, like that is against China, you know, Chinese and potentially other countries' broadcast regulations. Whereas if LCS just has like the FTX gold graph, they can send a clean feed of the stream with a different overlay to a to a different country, right? So it allows them to control things. But they had to come out and say, no, you cannot be called TSM FTX, even though that is what TSM sold FTX, guys. That is what they sold them. So already there were problems within that relationship because TSM was not going to be able to deliver what they sold because it was not cleared with Riot in advance. Like they did a really bad job of that. And now that they don't have that money, there's no universe where we can believe that TS, what TSM said was true, that, I, I, look, man, I don't know a company of that size, like what's TSM's valuation, $400 million or whatever. That's what where, they claim, yeah. Yeah, that's what they claim. But if you have a $400 million company and you suddenly lose $200 million of revenue over 10 years, that I, I, just from a business perspective, that is an enormous blow to your company. And also, by the way, guys, that $400, that $400 million valuation probably included that $20 million a year in revenue. It probably included that deal, which means their valuation has probably fallen pretty significantly from that point as well. So, you know, they were, they were abused by FTX, but at the same time, like given their shitty fan base, isn't it so perfect that one of their fans ultimately ended up destroying the the budget for the LCS team. And there's no other way to view this, guys. There's no, like, you cannot believe the constant lies that come out of TSM. It's just I would also, of abuse. The fans abusing them, them then, abusing their fans forever, back and forth. I would also say as well, like, the other reason why it doesn't make sense to be like, the FTX deal won't affect us much, then why announce it like an enormous deal? Which one is it? At the end of the day, if you announce it and it's a historic deal with loads of money that you're going to do loads of things with, hence the point of having the deal, you can't then, when you don't get it, go, well, it's no big deal. It's not going to affect things at all. Well, then you were lying in the first place. So you pick which the lie is, but one of them's a lie. You can't both be true. They're not congruent statements, are they? And then I'd also throw this in there as well, which is just as an aside, because a lot of people have had this happen to them the last few years. This is where people, I think it's going to be years before people with their brain can actually can actually characterize what crypto is, Monty. People keep treating it like a standard asset, like it was a house or a Ferrari. And so what happens is when people have millions of crypto, they start to talk in the way Reginald did of like, I can do anything and nothing can ever hit me and I can never be taken down. Because you know, one thing people never stop and think about is if you look at the way this was set up, I mean, previously people know someone like Doublelift famously had even said he'd had some crypto stolen from him and like the FBI was involved or something. If you think of who Reggie is and the way Reggie's done his career and through all the new tech stuff and the fact he had a sponsorship from FTX, I'm just going to speculate. I bet he had loads of money in crypto, but he had millions and millions. And if he had millions and millions and that all went away like that, then he had to I think guess, very differently about his business was, too. Guess where his crypto wallet was, Thorne? Uh, exactly. What do you think? It would be logical, wouldn't it? It was on FTX. Yeah, it would be logical. It'd be totally logical. So there might even be a scenario where you've just lost it all. And so now you have to think very differently about the business. And also, the other thing to tie into what you said, which really actually just reveals what TSM always was. You know, Richard loves that line to quote everyone's using at the moment because of the recession that's incoming, where you say when the it's only when the tide goes out, you see who's swimming naked. That's what you're finding out about TSM. Even though they bragged for all these years about how they made profit, what you're finding out is not the LCS team. 
not these other squads. Here's yep. the thing. If you do have a healthy business based around guides and your agency oh, yeah. and stream, then that's the part you keep when you need to trim stuff. And the first thing you trim, by the way, this is what you should think about, guys. The first thing you trim is the least valuable part of your business. That actually implies TSM doesn't think LCS is worthwhile. So the actual more alarming thing is, one, this shows that TSM was mismanaged. But I would also say this, because it ties into some of the things I know you've heard behind the scenes. Have you noticed of all the big orgs, you hear these rumors they're going to sell or they're desperate for VC or they're going to go bust or they're going to have to downsize massively. Have you noticed how many of them are LCS teams, Monty? It's a lot of them. Like, it's actually, I, I don't know why. I mean, this has been a discussion we've had on the show for the last few years about viewership and things like that. Is the league appealing? But it feels like a lot of the owners, and this is big, remember, guys, because LCS was the origin of franchising. There would be no LEC franchising if it hadn't have been LCS first. The premise was when they franchised the LCS, this is the most logical, best region to franchise because of all the sponsorship dollars and all the history. And what this is actually showing, quite frankly, it's a bit disturbing to me, is... Actually, if you look at these teams, I get the vibe a lot of them are sort of over the LCS thing. It's not as bad as Overwatch League, but a lot of them, it seems almost just like, maybe I don't want to sit on my slot, or as we said before, maybe I want to sell while it has a, still a current value. That's more than, especially if you like CLG, like you said. If It's why if people don't know, Astralis last year was rumoured to be one of the teams trying to sell. Because if you ever look how much Astralis, even just with your little guesstimate budget have done, like CLG, they probably could have cashed out on a profit from their LCS experience, which obviously is pretty rare. Normally we think of team orgs just bleeding money so i wouldn't be surprised if that's also why people want to buy, let leave they want to leave while they're still a greater fool to buy your slot for 20 mil or whatever and then you you end up not having lost stuff for the last five years maybe i mean it just depends on like i said what your goals are i don't necessarily think it's a greater fool if you can if you feel like you're playing a long game and don't mind losing some money in the short term in order to play a, a 20 year long plus esports or or longer like if you really think that you can build up, uh, you know, a competent staff of people to help you guide you guide through guide you through the universe of esports. If you're if you're an outside investor, um, and you will be able to retain those people by treating them well, and you're going to be able to spend aggressively during this time to build brand equity to like you know work with ESL on Counter Strike and work with Riot on League of Legends and then be ready for when the next game strikes and make yourself into a premier brand then i think it can be good because we all know regardless of this recession eventually there's going to be a new game or eventually there's going to be profitability and certainly in Counter Strike right now you know that ESL doesn't care so much about losing money because they want to spend in order to get audience size which benefits you as a team so I think there are there is definitely a world where savvy investors, if they're on a long enough timeline, can get their money back. But if you don't have that same dedication, then, yeah, now is the time to get out. And I mentioned this. It was hilarious. I actually mentioned that CLG was for sale yesterday on Power Spike and then <laughs> the news dropped in the afternoon. Uh, but the other the other teams that have been exploring you know, finding buyers are teams like Dignitas, um, you know, teams like Immortals. Uh, these are teams that potentially are for sale it wouldn't surprise me if golden guardians was as well though i'm not entirely sure about that who knows what evil genius's status right now is too considering the the drama that has occurred like would also be a convenient way to wash the brand wouldn't it just sell it yep yeah you exactly know? so um but you know some of these teams have now hired banks to like find buyers and broker deals among their clients so like this is happening and uh, the rumor is that clg is going to be bought by nrg and nrg is a team that Ooh, was formerly within yep. league of legends and 
they they have extensive esports experience. Their their CEO Andy Miller is one of the owners of the Sacramento Kings. He owns the San Francisco Shock uh, Overwatch in the Overwatch League. League. Yeah. Uh, he he has he was just franchised in Valorant, so they made Energy a partner yep. team, and they also have a pretty large like uh, TikTok brand called Full Squad Gaming that has done you know maybe like a hundred million views on TikTok uh, with various short form content. But um, Andy, Andy is a very good owner. I, I really, really like Andy. I worked with him very extensively throughout the years. And he obviously sees an opportunity to continue growing the NRG brand. And he has a diversified business with some pretty like huge influencers. People that, you know, most of our audience wouldn't pay attention to, which is like, you know, uh, Minecraft influencers and stuff like that. Uh, but I think he obviously sees the value here, and I think he understands that this is a chance to potentially buy low compared to the rest of you know what it could be in the future because all these teams are trying to get out and they're going to take you know somebody one of these teams is going to take an offer that he gives. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think I think it's a it's a it's a good ownership group to have in, and in fact, guys, they're they're a better ownership group to have in the LCS than fucking Madison Square Garden. Oh, they are. And I'll even <laughs> like, say this: it's an upgrade. Like I don't know what to if tell you. If you just look at how they behaved through. in the other games, unlike the CLG team, notice I made the point there that when this ownership group came in, you didn't have the superstars on CLG anymore. That's when Afro Move was gone, and that's when Doublelift was gone, and like they were all gone. It's just after that it was the budget rosters. NRG have shown in the games they care about. Here's a very good sign. They don't buy into games to, games to min-max. They buy into games to be the best. Like in Counter-Strike, if people don't know, they sold the squad that went to Evil Geniuses. They were like second. Yep. They were the top four at the majors right before they sold. They had one of the best teams in the world. They had in, obviously, Overwatch League. If people don't know, they had the best team for years and years. And yeah. they were the ones who spent all that money on those like young guys who became the studs. Sadly, they obviously, also, we like, don't mention really some of the names now. In they also really invest in coaches and infrastructure, like famously Krusty, the coach in Overwatch. They basically League. headhunted the best coach, yes. Yeah, paid him a massive I mean, amount. In, yep. Insanely good. Like probably one of the best coaches in all yes. of esports. And they, you know, they they very like carefully, you know, um uh developed him and the rest of the team and trusted him. So they don't have like a super uh hand like they don't meddle too much right they find the people they believe in and then they empower those people so like if it's true that nrg is is coming in i think it's it's better like it it frankly is a a big upgrade because we know that madison square garden didn't really give a fuck yeah, to me, the thing is, the, the difference is I could actually see this brand becoming one of the top brands now and then buying up the big, like maybe this is where some like Jensen plays now and wants the big contract, but he can't get it from the two or three teams that'll still pay a big contract, you know? So in that, in that sense, that is a good point. I, I actually do think it's one of the better owners. If people don't know, I actually have an interview with him on my channel from a few years ago. He has a really interesting backstory because he used to work, for example, literally under Steve Jobs at Apple. Like he had yes. a mega interesting backstory. He was a and VP at Apple. If you ever listen to the interview I do, he's one of those guys who actually straddles the line very well between like respecting OG people. It's actually why he did an interview with me. He already knew who I was. He was aware of different spaces in the industry. But also, like I say... I don't, I don't get the sense he wants just all the properties. He wants certain ones that he thinks the league spots make sense. And then the idea is, right, I've committed to now you spend the money. Now you try and make it something big. So I think it should be a better team than CLG was. The TSM one's the bomber. Because let's be real, as you pointed out earlier, CLG brand was hotshot and that 
or double lift, and that died off years ago. Like we're talking half a decade at least. The difference is you cannot lose TSM from the LCS and still say it's the LCS in the same way. Like TSM is the brand. I don't even care that if you want to see how powerful the brand is, guys, they haven't won beyond the bullshit online one for many, many years. And beyond that, they haven't even had the superstars for years. And they still have the idiots who chant the chant every international tournament. They still have the old school fans. Dude, they still have people where this is how you know on one level. Reggie did kill it with his brand. People are still, including us, obsessed with Reggie's brand within TSM. Like, almost Reggie is the brand of TSM at this point in time. There's nothing left. So uh, when you lose a, a, a franchise like that, even if the best org in the world, let's say like Real Madrid bought a team for some reason, Monty, and they said, right, we're going to even buy all the best players. We're going to buy, you know, like a team liquid super team. Here's the difference. They wouldn't be Real Madrid from football in LCS tomorrow. So the LCS, like the, just the momentum and inertia of the TSM brand, that is a tragedy to lose. That was, that I mean, was historic, mate. Sure. I mean, we'll see if it even sells. Like, uh, you know, frankly, we know that. Buy it, I think. Yeah, it, it, frankly, we know that TSM can operate this budget, this roster on minimum salaries for a long time. Like, if they just don't spend money on the team and they just offer, uh, you know, LCS minimum for their next round of contracts, they can just field a ninth, tenth place team or whatever, or try and get creative with the GMing. So, uh, you know, I think they can take that loss pretty effectively. If they're running their entire league team for under a million dollars a year, then they're going to be totally fine. Let me you give know, you a counterpoint, totally though. No one's come with this angle yet, I've noticed. I watched a couple of the people discussing this topic. No one's got this angle. Because remember, unlike the CLG, Monty, this is Reggie's team. And Reggie, as you pointed out with the double lift case, Reginald's probably one of the most ridiculous people of all time for cutting off his nose despite his face. Like, he doesn't give a... F if he wants to be petty... I can align with him on this one. He'll just be petty, whether it costs him millions, whether it doesn't, right? So one thing I will say is this. This is what no one else has shaded in here. Remember, Riot still has Reggie's balls in their fucking vice grip with that investigation. He's not allowed to do shit. He has to sit back. Like, while he's getting all the flame, that's his fault. He has to sit back and not do anything, which already was really hard. This is a guy who always interfered for years and years. And then here's the angle no one thinks about. TSM didn't get accepted to that partnership program in Valorant, guys. Everyone thought, it's TSM, it's Riot. You know, of course, the synergies make sense. Of course, they'll be there with Cloud9. No, in fact, as Monty points out, people like NRG got the spots. People aren't even from League. And they didn't get, when they didn't give that to TSM, dude, that was like a slap in the face for me. That was like Riot almost saying, you know what, Reggie? If you're not League of Legends, maybe I don't love me some Reggie. Go fuck yourself. So if I'm Reggie, there's also a world where it's like, if I have to trim or I have to cut out, maybe fuck LCS. Maybe Riot's not my partner anymore. Maybe maybe I'm going to try and be on the open circuit of CSGO something i mean i think it is a dangerous game for him to play because his apps for blitz and valorant and and league of legends require api access from riot which okay. i'm actually very surprised that they didn't punish him by removing his api access to league of legends when all of his drama was unfolding the way they chose to punish him was by not giving him a valorant partnership instead um now probably there's some sort of contract that they have and maybe riot couldn't get out of the contract maybe they were they, they, they almost almost they almost certainly are getting paid uh for that api access oh i'm sure they get a percentage or something yeah i mean or a flat fee who knows um but you know maybe that but when that contract is up the question is will riot renew that contract especially because uh the blitz app is actually losing usefulness for a lot of people like it, it, you know, it, recommending runes is now something that's done within the client of League of Legends. Okay. Um, and they, they've they made draft anonymous, so you can't really see people's accounts during the draft phase, um, which was one of the, the key features of it as well. 
And uh, I mean, it has jungle timers, but as Dom pointed out on Power Spike, like other apps also do that. So it's, you know, it's not, I feel like there's fewer and fewer reasons to actually use, um, to actually use that, that application. And especially because it's a resource hog on your PC, because you know how they make money is they constantly play fucking video ads all the time in the background of your computer while the app is open it's extremely annoying while you're playing the game ads play well well it's muted video i mean it's the same all right here's what they do thorin they go to advertisers they're like we could sell all these video ads nobody ever watches them because it's literally sitting behind the game while you're playing the game and so their entire their entire business is basically fraudulent extortion of advertisers selling video ads to people who are never actually going to watch them it's the same shit that you know the uh, like you know, the wikis do uh, when they like play video ads or Twitch streams at the very bottom muted oh, that yes, no one ever plays. Yes. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's scamming advertisers. It's a very common business in the oh. internet, but I mean, they're pros at scamming advertisers across their website network, across their apps. Nobody ever fucking watches these ads. Like, don't be ridiculous. Um, you know, I don't personally care that they're scamming advertisers, <laughs> but it's not it's not high on my list of like super unethical things to do. But we love, as you can see, we love our advertisers here. We don't do that. That's not our game. Um, but yeah, I think I, I think like this whole thing from from what Riot's been doing and the changes they've made to their games, like Blitz has made a a business off of Riot being bad at making their own client. And Riot's getting better at that. So what's their business then? Because it's obviously not esports. Um, they think it's going to be Counter-Strike. And do you even know where they're going? Are they going to buy FaZe's roster now that FaZe is in trouble? Like, what are they doing? That would be the interesting angle. Because if it's not FaZe, I, that's the problem, Monty. If it isn't FaZe, because obviously for financial reasons, FaZe just might be forced to sell what might be, again, the best CSGO team. If it isn't FaZe, then logically, I don't think it can be a top team. That's why I wonder about the fact that they've sort of bragged. Like, even the way they phrased this was so sus, Monty. Because when they tried, in when they had to sort of announce they're probably going to downsize League, the way they span it was like, we're going to go even harder in CSGO, right? And they said some really ominous line that was like, that the that the that the project in CS:GO would be more than all the games they were shutting down combined. Did you see this line? It was like some really like really yeah, interesting yeah. phrasing. Well, here's the problem with that, in my opinion, Monty. I think there's some fuckery involved with that because that's to make you think. Wait a minute. CSGO isn't as big salaries as LCS. Like, holy shit, they're going to buy the best team in the world and pay them. Here's my angle on that. In the modern day, to actually be a functional top team in CSGO, unless you're just godlike at building rosters, you've got to have all the partnership spots. You've got to be in the Lufa agreement. You've got to be a blast partner. Evil Geniuses are short us, guys, because if you don't know, in ESL Pro League, the Lufa agreement won, and in Blast, which you start as a group stage team if you're in the partnership, they've been last place for like two or three years now. But the point is, because they're in there, it still gets you ranking points still gets you in the public eye you still get to seem like you're relevant so i i I suspect that's why they're gonna have to spend a lot of money i think they're gonna actually buy like a slot and buy the actual league slots with it monty not just the actual players because that's what in theory would cost you the money right that's what might cost you a million dollars or something someone selling the actual slot as not just the players so if they do that then yeah maybe it could be a good team but i'm worried that it might just be they buy the slots and then put in a cheap team because like I say, in CSGO, people don't want to sell the good rosters. Like, the whole point is it's not a, a space that makes loads of money. So, aside from FaZe, I'd struggle to see who would be available. Like, the rest of the teams... Also, right now, in CSGO, quite frankly, 
because of the way we went back to online to on, from online to offline play, it upset a lot of the hierarchies. Like I'll give you an example. Back in the day, if you saw a name like Kenny S, you'd sign him instantly. Nowadays, Kenny S isn't Kenny S. But similarly, there's players who were top players who were nobody a year and a half ago. So I also think this is probably the trickiest time ever to buy in a CSGO. There are lineups in the top 10 that like no one predicted would be and might not be in six months. So it's not like the old days where there was names like basically any team with Carrigan, anyone with Kerry S, anyone with... There's teams before you could just guarantee these teams would be pretty good and you could sort of like not know too much, but know like that's the sort of right level I want to be at. Like Evil Genius's lineup, like they bought in the perfect time. They just bought a top team that was obviously good. They had a very good track record and they bought them for a reasonable price. So I also, I have my concerns because obviously TSM has been out of CSGO for so long. Like, will they understand this space? But whatever, at least they're buying a team. At least they're doing something. <laughs> yeah, I... They also just like massively mismanaged the the roster when they had the old Astralis core. Uh, in in the last iteration of CS:GO, they didn't promote them at all. Um, they meddled with the roster and the manager of the team, which is you know they like fired the manager, which then pissed yep. off all the players because they all liked their manager. And Reggie Reggie literally came in and was basically like, "Why are you here? I can do this job better than you can." And fired their manager, even though they were all in fucking Europe and the players liked the manager that they had operating the team, um, which then pissed the players off. And then obviously that team went on to become the 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 Astralis team that won like a gazillion majors and had a huge legacy. Um, so, but I mean, I remember at the time the CS fans were all pissed because like their league team was doing super shitty in the, in that era. Like this was like the, what the team liquid dominance era of the LCS. No, no, no. You've, you're mixing up there. The TSM had the, the Strauss like in 2015, man. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this was, this was in, oh, so it was when CLG was doing very yes. well um was when they had the the astralis roster and you know tsm was not on top of the league and meanwhile their counter-strike team was starting to like place yeah, very highly at international events and all the i remember all the counter-strike fans being like why won't they promote this on their social media because this team is actually an internationally competitive team and their league team you know from a counter-strike fans perspective the lcs teams are a joke because they never oh, do anything at in international competition yeah. meanwhile if you have one of the best counter-strike teams in the world um, they were confused as to why they were not promoting them very actively on their social. And channels. also, just for the hilarity of it, if you're a League of Legends fan, here's how that story ended. Uh, the core of that team went on to be the greatest team of all time. The in-game leader that they kicked now is the phase in-game leader, who's one of the greatest teams of all. Like essentially, any decision that wasn't the one that TSM took would have yielded <laughs> true greatness and a mega lineage in Couch Strike. Which, as you say, the difference is in League of Legends, best case scenario for LCS is like. Like Team Liquid, you fluke like one big final, but you're not going to win it, you know. In CSGO, you could actually have had the best team of all time. It could have well, been. Well, it, what's, so, what's so hilarious about this is this is just part of the curse of being Reginald, is he spent all those years saying, our goal is to win Worlds. Our goal yep. is to win Worlds in League of Legends. You literally could have been the T1 of Counter-Strike. You could have won the yep. equivalent of Worlds. You could have won a bunch of majors. You could have won a bunch of tournaments, and you just fucked it up. You just fucked it like, up. But it is weird. I'm not exaggerating. You can go now. If you go to the esports earning website and you go on to CSGO, right? Obviously, of the five people, people might know the one that doesn't make it anymore is Cajun B, retired years ago. The other four players, the three that are in Astralis until recently, and Carrigan are all top 10 players of all time for prize money one. And the majority of that was after Reginald had them. 
So, like I say, you couldn't have, like, zigged when he should have zagged more. And the funniest thing is this. If people don't know, he did it for very, very short-term reasons, which is correctly, that year, 2015, was the year that salaries essentially almost exponentially grew, Monty. They went from, like, everyone's on, like, 2K a month to, like, someone's offering 7K to, like, an LTS all comes in for 15K to, like, then some Eastern European ones just 20K. And the problem was the fear at the time from people like Reggie was the salaries are getting out of control and you don't get enough back in terms of branding. How did LCS work out, dickhead? How did Payne Hooney millions work out, dickhead? What are you doing? Like, he's paid so that $3 million or something. Like, how did that work Six out? Million. What brand did you ever build? What awesome series was he ever about? You know what I mean? Like, the joke is, I get what Reginald meant in the short term, but you actually did a worse version of that on a bigger scale and with way worse results. Like, the ROI was 10 times worse on the fucking Sawdart deal, wasn't it? Like, like we're saying, the one thing at least you get with the TSM Astralis players was they were going to be the greatest in the game of all time. That counts for a lot you can if you do it right by the way with your branding you can like much like the clgs of the world you can ride that branding for years after you're good people also, still remember fondly the time you had the top team here's here's a spoiler for you guys we just actually saw astralis's financials uh for the quarter because they are a publicly traded company now and you know what they're profitable they're yeah, fucking they're profitable. They're yep. a publicly traded esports company that only does esports and they're fucking profitable, guys. They've yep. actually sold the sponsorships. You know, we may not like the Astralis management very much, but there is no question that they oh, have made it, a profitable esports yep. org, which is commendable. It's commendable. Oh, the one thing you cannot say, by the way, is you can dislike Nicola Nyom and people like that, but he's done a very good job in business. Like, in fact, that's yeah, one of the things I don't like about him. I think he just does it in a, in a fucked up way, but the problem is he gets the results, doesn't he? So I can get why, sadly, other people who, are, let's say, like have looser morals can look past that and just go, good business job or whatever. If people yeah. don't know, by the way, just as a random aside... I have never, ever, unlike everyone else, I've never disputed that thing Nihom said publicly about me to get back at us for Flashpoint, where he said that there was an owner within Flashpoint described to me as being like, you know, just having like normally good ideas, but being like annoying or something. Like, I can guarantee some of those motherfuckers thought that. I don't, I don't think like, that's one of the few times I don't think Nihom was lying. I think he was telling the truth. Like, it wouldn't surprise me that some of them think that. I mean, I was in some of the meetings, mate. They weren't feeling it. That's all I'll tell you. <laughs> Could easily believe that. That is that is actually one of my favorite quotes about you all I was so fucking you remember, funny. I even put it in my bio at one <laughs> yeah. point, and I, I think I do have it on the quote section of my website. Like, you know, like I put those comedic quotes. Yeah. I think I've got it on there because I thought, fuck, because here's the thing if people don't know, one of my favorite authors, Robert Anton Wilson, used to do that as a market employee. If someone wrote a scathing review, he'd take the craziest sentence and pretend it was like a movie poster and that was like a good review. So, say someone said, like, you know, he is like a gorilla ontologist waiting to leap from the bushes and assault the viewer's intellect, he would just put that like it was like the sick, like, tag, like, the movie of the summer yeah it's always banging mate and also just imagine like that's why i did it on my website with all those slasher quotes just imagine how pissed off the person is when they read it as well like wait a minute what the hell no i meant that like negatively exactly it's a way to like needle the fucker who's getting you as well because <laughs> if people don't know if you ever want just to laugh go on my website like esportshistorian.gg or whatever and on the quotes part that you can click through i've even set them up so that it goes like this for example there'll be one where like it's it'll be like simple saying Thorin is an idiot right and then I put th th you know Thorin is an idiot then it goes like simple the greatest player of all time according to Thorin so you get the joke I've built in there which is if I'm an idiot well how come I'm the one who said he was the greatest like think it through so I've done loads of gag ones like that
I've got one with Sasha Wetz, like, you know, you know, former journalist, former respected journalist who's like banned from Reddit or something. Like, I got loads of little roasts in there. I got some good ones. It's quite, I, it's, I like, it's a little gem. Put out with some sleepers there for you boys. The one from Zeus's Twitter, too. Thorin is a great person and a competent analyst. Almost every pro player thinks he is a nice fellow and he understands CS quite well. Do you know why that one's brilliant, by the tough way? tough guy from Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> Here's why the Zeus one's genius. Because he's trying to parody what I said. Because I said about Zeus, like he's a great in-game leader. He's just a bot as a player. So Zeus, to try and tag me, wrote that whole thing. But he did write that, Monty. So it's not my fault that when he put it on there, the context lost. Like, it just looks like one of the greatest in-game leaders of all time. Paid me a beautiful compliment. So, you know what? Thanks. Yeah, we'll be putting that on our website. Good luck. <laughs> Basically, don't ever try and be sarcastic against me now because I've got your bank to write, Savannah. <laughs> Brian Kibler, you're not wrong. You're just an asshole. There you Amazing. Go. <laughs> Pretty good, isn't it? I took that, I, I, like I say, though, I stole that from Robert Underwood. I don't even pretend I invented that. It's good, yeah, bad, no, so. It's, it's definitely all, good, bad. It's all super funny, though. Definitely I'm good, trying, I'm trying to find the the one. The, the, the anonymous quote one is so funny. Which one was that? No, 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 the one about um, nominally good ideas. Oh, yes, that one, yeah. Maybe I didn't put it on there. If I haven't, I definitely should. <laughs> There's actually a lot. Anyway, it's funny. You guys can go to esportshistorian.gg and, uh, and check oh, it out. Here we go. I've got it. Here's the quote, because this quote is fucking amazing, by the way. It is. It says, this is the quote, Thorin is an unstable and deeply troubled character, but a key <laughs> to winning over the core and has nominally good ideas. Like, that just sounds sick, doesn't it? That even sounds like he's describing like an anime character or something. It's ridiculous. What, 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 I, what I love about that, too, is that it's just... It, it it's so patronizing to the esports audience too like because <laughs> it insults you and then says like what's wrong with the esports audience that they like you <laughs> but you're essential to winning over the core <laughs> i'll also just throw this out there guys have you noticed though none of these owners ever say anything bad about jake Lockie or any of the actual clout chair weird how that works oh what's that they've got the new jersey and they're wearing it in their video Oh, well, don't anyone put two and two together. Fucking hell, boys. <laughs> the industry's so mad, isn't it? It's so mad. <laughs> well, uh, and and to tie this all up, guys, on this conversation about orgs in general, is like, this is just what you're going to see right now. We, I, I don't know how many times we can just talk about this. If you guys watched our four horsemen inter or like our four horsemen show with uh, Tommy Lurpus from last year about the business of esports, a lot of this was foreshadowed. And if anything, it's gotten, you know, worse than we expected with like the Silicon Valley bank collapse, the drying up of VC, um, advertising budgets being frozen, which is hurting a lot of teams right now because they obviously rely on these advertising budgets. But here's the truth of the esports industry right now is sponsors don't get value out of these advertisements. One of the reasons that we are currently and you guys will see doing well with last free nation in terms of closing ad deals is because a lot of the teams like just don't offer value from an advertising perspective. Like what they give you, they take millions of dollars because they have millions of dollars of player uh, fees. Let me give you a quick example, Monty. I thought this the other day with the video you're referencing. So I open up a video. Remember, I don't get to see a lot of Travis's comic context. I'm pretty hardcore enthusiast. I'm not really about like, you know, like Hotline League or whatever. So I opened that video about CLG and it starts and he goes, by the way, it's sponsored by Alienware. It's like, that's nothing. Like, Nate, what you just yeah. said there, no human ever is buying an Alienware laptop because you just said really quickly, sponsored by Alienware. That may as well be nothing. Like that may as well just be a logo on the screen that everyone looks past. Because when, if you look at 
things that are always there. You just look at the essential, the person moving. Like that's that's almost what it's an extreme example, but that's almost the vibe of a lot of the team orgs. They're stuck ten years in the past, aren't they? Where it's just like we are sponsored by this person, but it doesn't like tangibly or materially change what you're doing. It's not tailored yeah. to them, really. All, all I'm going to say is compare our ad reads to everybody else's. Just think about that. <laughs> and thank you guys for supporting our sponsors yes. too, because it is the best way you can support our channel and our content. And you guys have actually crushed it. Freeze Pipe is back. They're back for more, guys. They they loved it. You guys bought the Freeze Pipes. Thank you. Um, we, we're happy to give, like, get products you guys enjoy, and you're going to see more. But the point is, is that the advertisers are not seeing the value. Like, when you, when you look at, LCS, they lost State Farm, they lost Bud Light. You know, these were companies that are huge institutions, but you have to justify millions of dollars of expenditure. And it's not worth it for the teams or the league to take smaller deals because to put on the LCS is extraordinarily expensive. So they have to have big deals, right? And to, to hire all these staff and players and pay them, you know, seven figures each a year is very, very expensive. So you have to have millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars of sponsors. But the question is, what do the sponsors get in return? Here's what they get. They get some surly ass professional players who don't wanna make content, not doing a good job of representing the product, right? And then go look at EG's, go look at EG's YouTube channel and tell me if those 2000 views on a video are getting a sponsor any kind of value and they slap a logo on their jersey. That's it, guys. I can tell you that's what teams do. They offer very, very little alternative value as if you're just sponsoring the esports team. And you know when people trying to make fun of me and they say my channel's died, Monty, because the views went down loads. Yeah, people aren't paying me millions of dollars a year to sponsor my channel, though, are they? Like <laughs> the point is, as you say, they get the same output from an entire media company. Like that's terrible. Yeah. That's terrible. I yeah. And so, you know, these, this is how the teams operate and, yeah. and many teams are not putting a lot of effort into their content or content, at least that resonates with the fans. They pay content teams to make it all shiny and polished, but it's not popular content guys. It's not popular. So, you know, where do you go with this, with this kind of business? It's very hard. I mean, the answer is you take smaller sponsorship and you slash player salaries. And that's literally what has to happen. There is no way that a player, like a professional player should be paid a million dollars a year to play in the LCS based on the current viewership and the value that you can derive from sponsorships. So unless there is a, uh, an alternative form of revenue, unless Riot says, and by the way, Riot is paying stipends. They pay over $2 million a year in stipends to each of the LCS teams right now. Which really so, says a lot if people are running at a loss after that, obviously, yeah. Um, so like this is, you know, and also their new partnership program with Valorant, they've announced that they are paying teams in order to have those partnerships. Now you can get relegated in that system, right? So that you still requires investment from you. Um, but this is there, you know, there are there are subsidies that are going into this from the publishers, which there should be because it's a marketing exercise that the publishers have deemed is profitable to them. So this is how it should be. If anything, it should be more, right? Um, but you know, the sponsorship angle is is very tough, I think, for teams right now, especially because this is the problem with burning sponsors in the industry, is that esports is now a cursed word. 
among sponsors. Like when we go out to sell for Last Free Nation, we have to actively undo damage by saying like, no, we are doing this differently. No, we can guarantee, you know, direct viewership of content because we have viewership floors. And here's how we pitch sponsors. Here's samples. We will make samples of how we pitch to you guys, right? But it's been tough. It's been really tough because all these teams, they just scooped up a bunch of money, made some bullshit, didn't care about the returns to the advertisers, and then the advertisers just get salty and leave. You know? Yeah, if, if people don't know, one of the things I actually found most disturbing from our experience with our company was you don't know, guys, what a game changer it is that like our approach in general is we'll find a way to hit the number that you want. If this is the number of views you want, then look, we're selling you this package of this many shows and this many adverts. But if for some reason we have a down month, we'll make it up other ways. We'll put in another show. We'll do a bonus. You can tell that esports companies don't do this, guys, because these brands are shocked when they hear this. They're like, all oh, right, wow, oh, there's nothing extra for that. Because what the other orgs are doing, like Monty says, is they think, well, I'm just in a market. And, you know, that's what the ads cost. And if it doesn't make it, then so what? But unlock it's like that's like that old saying that I always love to say because esports people will never get it. You can share a sheep many times, but you can skin it only once. This is like your skin in the ad guy. And when he comes back and sees not only did you not hit his targets, you were nowhere close. And God forbid, by the way, he knows from other people in the market you even did it in bad faith and you knew you'd never get those numbers and you sexed them up. As Monty's saying, he's gonna be soured to the whole esports industry. He's definitely not gonna to want to work with your team anymore. And quite frankly, if it happens enough times, they're gonna think the whole region the whole area just con artists and people just tricking them and and selling which is actually what esports used to be selling the dream instead of the reality whereas actually the sad thing is you can even tie it back in people like tsm cloud nine have enormous fan bases the question is just are they engaging them appropriately do they know in the modern day how you don't just put the ad there but you engage it with the viewer make them interested make them understand it do it in your own unique way that's the area a lot of these teams have failed like a lot of them are just generic it's why actually the clg ones are a good example because once VC came in, a lot of these orgs don't really have a unique flair. They're not a cottage industry. They're just generic LCS org four, generic LCS org five, and the only difference is how much budget do they have to spend on players. Like there's very little distinct branding. You can even say, quite frankly, with some of the repurchases, some of the brands are so bland it's unbelievable. Like what is Dignitas's brand? What is Immortal's brand? Nothing. All you think of is the performance of the team. No one can even tell me what makes these teams unique. It's actually why the one thing, like I said before, that I still gave credit to TSM was, at least they have the unique brand in terms of Reggie. Now they've thrown it down the drain, but that, that lasted a long time. Dude, they got a lot of goodwill from the community. We saw let them ride for years on that shit. Yeah, and it, you know, it just makes you wonder if Hotshot had still been around and active within CLG because people still love CLG because of yeah, shit yeah. that was happening in like 2014, 2013, 2012, yes. 2011. Like this was the kind of prime era of CLG. And a lot of that, it, it's just shocking to me because I love the CLG brand. That's one of the reasons why I joined CLG because they were the opposite of TSM. They were supposed to be, you know, the more mature team, the older team, like, um, you know, well, well, TSM was burning down their house with a microwave and, and, you know, trying to play into, oh, these are a bunch of teenagers. Like CLG was much more uh, put together and stable, but still fun. And like Hotshot was a great personality. And it was the little things too. Like it was Matcom, you know, the manager who was a great artist who was drawing like those weekly, you know, the weekly drawings of, of the, like the post-match drawings for wins and losses about the champions that were played. And, you know, the storyline of the game that were really fun and engaging to the community and all that just fucking left. You know?
It's just, it's disappointing, but the brand really suffered at the hands of Madison Square Garden. So, you know, frankly, I would rather them just take the CLG brand behind the shed and kill it right now and get something new within the LCS because there's no value. The only value is nostalgia. Let's be real. The logo fucking sucks. The name fucking sucks. Counter Logic Gaming, it doesn't mean anything. So let's just be done with it and put it into the annals of history where we can remember it fondly, but not see it in its current zombie state any longer. Same with TSM. Logo sucks. Name sucks. Doesn't even mean Team Solo mid anymore. Do we really lose? Like, we don't lose a lot from the branding perspective. We just lose a lot from the nostalgia and brand value perspective. But we can do better. As, as in most cases with the easy sports team. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's about all that's it to say. You guys are going to see more of this. Like, this isn't the last team to sell. Oh, lots more. We're going to see consolidation uh, across the entire industry. Um, there are going to be a bunch of good people getting in as well. Like, good business people will see this as an opportunity. They will see it as an opportunity. And people who are kind of half in, half out on this or who have other, you know, who want to be profitable immediately, like Madison Square Garden, are going to be out. And that's fine. We don't want those people in the space anyway. Like, I wish Madison Square Garden had never gotten into the space in the first place. But I I don't think this is going to be a massive crisis. The reason why you are hearing this alarmism from people like Travis Gafford is that Travis is scared shitless for himself. His entire income depends on the success of the LCS. That's it. So he is scared because of what's going on. And he is, has a very strong motivation to convince people to stay with the LCS. It's the same reason he was like promoting that show players. It's the same reason right. he's been talking about, you know, the LCS in general, because if LCS viewership goes down, what happens to Travis? Right. Like, you know, basically, Travis is that bird on the back of the rhino that eats the fleas. <laughs> so he knows if there's no rhino anymore, not any fucking fleas for Travis, is there? Uh, the rhino's there's getting little, smaller, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Less surface area for fleas. <laughs> exactly. Because the other so thing, I, I agree, because if people don't know, that's even one thing I always thought was such a waste. People talk about in League that Travis didn't maximize. Like obviously, he could have done so much more. Like Even though he has something of a status in the community, he could have been the LCS guy. If he'd have ever gone totally legit as a journalist, by the way, he would have had all the sources. He'd have had every story. Like I always say, it's why I brought it up with the Danny thing. Mate, if me and Richard over on the other side of the fucking planet, in theory, and also on some level, Richard doesn't even give a fuck about League of Legends. If we're finding stories out, you either are incompetent or you just don't report the stories because you have to have gotten it before us. First of all, you dated the person who did the thing. You have friends with Double if who was involved with the other stuff. You know what I mean? Like you have all the you have the direct sources. We just have those people. If they speak to us, you have an extra level. But it's even worse than that. I always thought the silliest thing Travis ever did, Monty, was I know when I used to work with him. It was discussed many times of, would he get into different games? Maybe he'd branch into Overwatch when it came, because that was going to be in LA too. I'm sure at some point Valorant was something. I don't know why he never did it, mate. To me, it was obvious you should have expanded like I did and do two well, or three we'll games. Well, what he does. Because the, the best thing about doing two or three games is you can never get fucked by your game dying. Your game can't be StarCraft 2 and suddenly shrink. Like, you're always all hot, so something that gets closed down. If that happens, you start at zero when you go to some of the other games. you got to do it while you're at your peak, you know. You, you just gradually extend out. Well, here's Thor and VCT Americas is happening right now in the same studio 
that LCS happens in. Does it's he happening come to on different Does days. He, I don't know. He, I'm just saying he happens. He might have to work more than two or three days a week, which which may be a deal breaker for him. Uh, but he certainly could get a press badge and start going and interviewing Valorant players as well. I don't. I don't really know what's stopping him from doing that. Seems like it's pretty easy. Just go there Saturday and Sunday. You used to do that anyway. You used to do that anyway for LCS. Just go Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday now. Dude, I don't know. Seems easy to me. Well, yeah, but all he's going to do is go up to the venue, stand outside the doors, and just whisper like fucking Alibaba. So it'll just be like, sponsored by Alienware? Oh, the door didn't open. I didn't just, the door didn't open. A red carpet didn't roll out. And then I wasn't escorted inside and literally given an interview with the best player in the world, told by Riot, that they had to do an interview with me. This is bullshit, this game. I'm out. Back to else, yes. Like, there's, there's sort of a little meta joke there. People know the industry a bit better than just a fan. So, because <laughs> if you don't know, by the way, Travis also, it's not just his fault. He has the same problem the LCS owners have. They want it all on easy mode. They all want it all handed to them. And I'll tell you what, not only in business are you not going to ever get it handed to you, boys, but as a journalist, you're never going to get anything handed to you. As a journalist, the joke is the people we need to help us the most are often actively hostile because they're the people we're reporting on. The point is the guy I report on tomorrow was the guy who's my source today. That's why it's the most fraught industry. That's also why, in my opinion, when you look at the way people do it, Travis has actually shown that his method doesn't work because if his method works, Monty, where you never rock the boat and you never upset anyone and you never leak the wrong thing, he should have every source and every story. Why is it the people who only rock the boat, who only interfere, who only expose the things you don't want to expose? Why do we get all the stories? I've always thought that's one thing you got. Surely that penny drops eventually, mate, that you realize, wait, this doesn't even work for me. It's not even, I'm not even getting what I wanted. Yeah. It's it's wild. It's weird, I mean, it? it's weird. What a weird and, world. And, and and like the reason why he has these sponsorships too, it's not that he's going out and selling them. He's represented by Loaded, which represents a lot of streamers. His very good friend, Kelby, from CLG, is his agent at Loaded, and they're able to sell Alienware sponsorships because they sell them across a variety of clients, and they package Travis in with that deal. That's why he has it. I mean, that's fine. He has a good agent. Whatever. Like, th But that's how it happens, right? That's how it happens. Uh, shall we move on to games? All right. Now that we spend an hour and 20 minutes what on region East should we West talk winter. about? That's the question. Which <laughs> region do LCK? Here's the thing. Good? Let's do LCK first, just to switch it up and come back to LCS. Right? In LCK, it's exactly what I was waiting for the whole time, Monty. I have been waiting from the beginning of the playoffs to see Gen G play against Katie Rolston. That is my number one matchup I want to see the whole time. And not only is it here, but bro, you couldn't even make this more hype. Because on oh, the one great. hand, we all know KT has shown you the ceiling. Now, don't worry, the floor's way lower than you've seen so far. <laughs> it can definitely go wrong. But the problem is, suddenly Genji even looks a bit dodgy because of that fucking Hanwell Life series. Like, mate, it feels like it's coming together. I, I know this is something you've preached against, but I am excited for KT Rolston. Damn it, <laughs> oh, my God. I am. I am You're excited for a telecom ball final. I believe. I believe. <laughs> <laughs> I, look, I just I do. want the telecom war final as much as I, I as I love Gen G. Uh, so Dom and I had a disagreement, and we talked about this at length on Power Spike. He thinks that it's going to be Gen G winning. I think it's going, or he, yeah, and I think it's going to be KT, uh, which is a shocking reversal of, of opinion yeah, from of Dom, yeah. <laughs> who's a known Gen G hater, and I'm a known Gen G lover. Uh, I think Gen G has actually played very well during the playoffs. Sometimes, man. Fans just don't understand Genji. And I, I've talked about this on my streams about why they're good, but 
the fans literally have a problem where they think that if you are doing something off camera, they they just have no object permanence and they can't understand that teams do things on other parts of the map that they're oh, they not. They don't seeing. understand the map player, right? I'll say yes. <laughs> like they can't and they can't look at CS numbers or gold leads, apparently. Dude, I've always wondered about that because here's the thing I don't get, Monty. Remember, most fans of League play League of Legends. Just imagine for a second, guys, that you were playing a game of League of Legends, and let's say you're a bot leader. On your part of the map, you're just fighting 2v2, right? Let's imagine every time you get past the mid game. Game, there's just two waves pushing into your base at all times. Like, wouldn't it eventually twig? Like, that doesn't happen by no reason. There must be someone pushing the. You'd look eventually. Like, spoiler, I've just given you the whole clue to how Gen G plays right there. If you understand what I just said, it's like Monty <laughs> said, yeah, they're not doing the big team fight win that makes them win, but they're just fucking shitting on you by understanding the map. <laughs> and they're taking all your jungle camps. Yeah. But, but this is the solo queue mentality. So it, it's true though, that this is how solo queue players think. So let's, let's pretend you're in the, you're in the two V two bot lane and you're kind of getting dunked on a little bit. And maybe you die once or twice and they take a couple turret plates and you're just like raging in, in, in your chat right now. Fuck you guys. Like come gank jungler. And then all of a sudden, you know, come the mid game, you group up and you, it's like the third Drake and your mid laner has 50 more CS than the other opponent, is 2,000 gold up, took five plates by split pushing in the top lane or whatever, and or like took a tier two inner from pushing, got all the gold concentrated on them, and then this, this mid laner just monsters this entire team fight with this massive advantage, and then you're just like, Oh shit. Well, I guess it was going fine somewhere else. Like, yes. You know, this is this is the mentality that people have. So they they just I guess refuse to see that things are going elsewhere and they're like I mean, this is the biggest filter for me is that people talk about Chovy and saying like, "Oh, he's just Imagine split it. pushing again, yeah. not paying attention to the map." I'm like, you realize that the whole team is on board with this strategy and yeah. that he is accomplishing a fuck ton right now. And there's a reason why Gen G, in spite of having fewer kills, has a two or three thousand gold lead in this game against T1. And you realize that they are trading the first couple of Drakes to take Herald, to take towers, to take plates so that they can come into a third Drake fight with a, a substantial gold advantage and, Dude. you know, vision control. Froggen told me this years and years ago. I'm talking literally something like eight or nine years ago. And he was so right and pressing. It's insane, Monty. He said, basically, normal people don't understand the concept of gold in the game. Because what they don't know is when I play what they think is a boring lane, but I'm up 25 CS, that's like two kills or a kill and a half of gold. Yeah. But I didn't ever have to take the risk of going and having a fight and potentially dying with that much health or the jungler happens to come in and clean up the kill. I don't do that. I just got the, I essentially got the value of the kills for free. I just got it by CSing and pushing them out of lane and having the jungler path at the right time. So essentially, think again of the solo queue example, guys. When you play solo queue, you're playing versus bad players at your level. So even a player who's fed might not do anything with it. Imagine how good pro players are. Now imagine the boring Azir player, Monty. He's only up 50 CS, but he doesn't have any kills, Monty. He hasn't done anything in the game. 50 CS is going to be like an item. Guys, an Azir player in the mid-game is going to be a poor item. You can see how that just transfers into wins. Like, if you have the team that can control the map, you win. It's why I'll say this a, a million times till people get it. The most underrated player in the LEC, and he always will be, is Larson from Koi. If you knew how many coaches, Monty, tell me he would be like the dream mid laner. He's a mid laner that always plays the champions he's really good on and is up in CS every game. 
what more do you want? Like, bro, that's the start. That's like step one of how do I build a consistently winning league? My mid laner is always up in CS without taking massive fucking risks and just play as a mage, which will be very strong doing loads of DPS later. That's the dream is to have the Azir like that. But the problem is the fan only understands like the fucking pop-off mid laner, the guy who plays the crazy Zoe and does all the crazy bubble through the minion. They get that. They can see Flash, but they can never get like... Essentially, there's a boring way to win in League of Legends, guys. And if you can do that, you will also be very successful. And it's consistent as well. That's why I like about Gen G. Dude, the, the best thing about these two teams to bring it back is the contrast. Gen G has a really consistent style and they know how they want to play. The joke with KT is KT don't even know they want to play sometimes but I'll tell you what they're fucking exciting KT is the team that'll just do anything and just go crazy and try and match you with a team fight they have no business being in do a crazy base race like what I love is the styles couldn't be any more contrasting yeah and, and uh, yes it, they are very very exciting to watch in terms of the difference stylistically but yeah I, I think when you look at Gen G you just have to accept that they're playing and to your point Thorin about taking gold other places on the map Here's a crucial factor. Riot has been very slowly over time buffing Genji's playstyle. Remember when they started increasing like tier two turret gold to encourage more split pushing? Yep. At the end of last year, they added what 200 uh, local gold uh, to the Rift Herald, which is almost a kill right there actually so if you are prioritizing herald and then there's plate gold that you get as well from using the herald if you are not losing things if you are timing it in a way where you give over the dragon and yes the dragons the drakes all have gold value associated with those statistics but they're random and they may they're going to affect team comps differently um and even then riot has nerfed the drake stats again because they were the drake stacking was considered too strong so we're getting into a point where the drakes are less powerful well, if you can take, you know, if you get the if you get the first Rift Herald and you get a couple of plates and you're not dying for it because you're timing it around a, a Drake pickup from the enemy team, even if it's not exactly at the same time, there are windows of time where the other team has to recall after taking Drake and then you have an opportunity to go get it. And especially if you're dominating mid lane, because remember, part of this series was Chovy blind picking LeBlanc against T1. And this is not something that we see that's very common. But as I've discussed many times, the key to Chovy's LeBlanc is that he plays it very, very differently depending on the matchup that he's in. He will use one of three different Keystone runes. He'll use Electrocute or First Strike um, or Airy, depending on the matchup. And then he'll change between Q Max and W Max in lane because he knows how to play this champion in all these different matchups to get push and to get advantage. And that is huge. That's huge. So if you have that, you have priority in mid lane basically constantly when he's playing this champion, and he's so fucking good at it. He played it, he played it incredibly well uh, versus T1. Had insane backline access. One of the few times I've liked seeing an Everfrost LeBlanc because he, he was using it to lock down carries in the backline to set them up for Jace poke. I mean, he is very, very good. And he creates this insane pressure on the map. He knows how to team fight well. And it is just a lie a lot of the time. Now, I will say, at Worlds this past year, he reverted to old Chovy form, where it was true that he wasn't leaving lane. It was true 
that he was struggling in order to uh, play the map. But that wasn't true for the majority of the for the entire domestic season last year. And it's not true now. If if his team is doing something on the other side of the map that gets them killed, it is often their fault. They know that Chovy's not coming. The way they play is to pr- uh, use the split push and to create pressure for Chovy. So let's blame Peanut instead. Let's blame Pays for getting caught out. Let's blame Dorian. I mean, Dorian had a very bad series against T1. Very bad. Um but it's not Chovy, and it, I wish these fucking memes would die because Chovy is very aware now of what's going on in the map, and he's playing the map extremely well. Indeed. You know a point that you made? I saw this as a clip, I think, maybe. A point you made about T1 that I thought was very shrewd was because this is another area where you'll miss it if you watch what the camera's watching, is it does seem like in specific matchups, T1's whole plan is get everyone bought just so then Zayas has a permanent 1v1. And since he's the best <laughs> 1v1 player, he just wins. The reason that's genius is because, one, everyone's going to be looking at all the bot lane chaos and fighting and roaming, so they're not actually going to see what the dynamic is. But even more so, I just think of how many great teams had a great top laner, but it's counterintuitive, Monty. Normally, the logic would be if you have the carry top laner, play everything towards him, dive his lane. But actually, as you're saying, it's a very clever way to actually cause an isolation play. That's actually quite interesting. Sort of like it's like a, there's like a second layer understanding of the meta there that T1's on that the other teams aren't. Yeah, and I also think that it did bite T1 in the series they played against KT um, because they were blind picking the NAR and like. It gives Keen as a player some really advantageous matchups, and because Keen is so good, um, it, it caused issues. But when we saw this series between Genji and T1, where for both teams the Jace was the priority, and actually both mid laners and both top laners ended up playing Jace throughout the series, um, you know they were prioritizing Zayas's matchups just a little bit more. Um, and also, Doran is just a—he's a weaker player than Keen is, so it was—it was more appropriate uh, in that circumstance. But the the strategy for Genji was also kind of hampered because in their last series, you know, they were able to really abuse the Cassante pick, which is uniquely powerful on Genji because it's a flex pick for them. And Chovy will play yeah. in the mid lane, and Chovy's very good at it. And they've been able to set up some really strong frontline compositions that enable Pays to just hard carry on like hyper carries in the back line. Um, and then they T1 also just banned out the Zeri for the entire series, which is something they're just going to have to keep doing until Zeri is nerfed because T1 is just not a Zeri team. Um, they did play it in, in against KT, but they kind of it, it, they they lost the game that they played, but it wasn't because of the Zeri. They actually did quite well with it early, but it just doesn't fit their team identity super well. And Gumiyushi is not compared to all of the other players that were left in the LCK playoffs. Pays Viper. Uh, aiming, he's just the worst Zeri amongst all of them. So it doesn't make a lot of sense for them to focus on that champion. That's weird, because he is an all-pro LCK player. Fuck that shit. Fuck that noise, guys. Where all the T1 players are all all pro, are they? Like... (laughs) <laughs> so dumb. They'll be, don't worry. I've got a similar one. I'm going to bitch about LCS later, but oh, I hate so, that angle. I hate that angle so, so much. So I think that what we're running into is just a difference in cultures, Thorin, honestly, because the thing about the Korean, Korean culture is it's very collectivistic. So what they prioritize is teamwork, right? They prioritize kind of this selfless dedication to the whole and playing your role within the larger team. And because T1 has such phenomenal teamwork, they are naturally going to prioritize like voting for the players that they feel are are contributing the most to the cohesive whole which makes sense but there isn't i'm sorry to say this guys there is not a universe crazy t1 fans where replacing gumiyushi with viper is a downgrade 
I'm sorry, that's just not true. But they just don't prioritize the individual performance. Um, and they, for whatever reason, it feels like they assume that a, a stronger individual player would not be able to change their style yes. or mesh, or the other players on the team would be able to shift their style to accommodate those players, which I think is just false. Like, I think it's just Here's false. the thing. It's like you say, if, if I think about like the philosophy, especially like the Confucian philosophy that underlies their society, it makes sense because if you've ever seen in interviews, you know, fans, this is one area, by the way, that the players aren't lying in. You know, when pro players, Koreans famously say that line of like, you know, I apologize to my fans because I lost the final, but you know, if you cheer for me, I'll show better games next time. They're not actually bullshitting you. Like as mad as it sounds, even if you like, Trophy's a great example because he's barely ever won. Even if on paper, you're the best middling or even the, the best Korean player, you yourself were supposed to think if you lose, even if it's not your fault, like remember, Hanwha Life and DRX Trophy, half the time he was carrying a bunch of like nobodies and a bunch of bomb, like rookies or corpses like Morgan or whatever. But the point is, he himself is supposed to still think, I also lost to T1 in this match. I also should do better, could do better, must do better to win next time. So I agree. There is a logic they would have because it's sort of like their reward structure, which is everyone on the number one team that wins all the games must be doing a great job. Therefore, they're all the best. That actually yeah. sort of in a way, the point is it's just different from the way I, my lens for players, because obviously one I would say one of the main areas of interest for me in team sports is when you have players that are better than the team or they're better than people in a corresponding team whose team happens to perform better than them. Like, I think that's interesting. Because for example, it's why if you were a fan who only looks at the headlines, dude, you would never have expected that KT T1 series because you'd be like, wait a minute, T1's got all the best players and they're the best team. Well, this KT team has no chance. But what you wouldn't know in that scenario is KT had like three players who were like in contention for the best spot and are doing really well as you say Keane if anything because he doesn't get the chance what a mad underrated top player by the end of the split Eamon's been carrying games all split and as you said if anything I feel like BDD's just still living through the inertia of old Gen G BDD people just won't acknowledge he's the player that he is this year mate they, they act like he's washed like mate he's had a very good split I mean I think you even made the point right like if you were I know it's that's already where you know these fan discussions are already cursed, mate. When you had that discussion of like, if you had to replace someone, you'd probably take Faker. And then every comment was like, "So you're saying they should replace Faker? You fucking moron!" Like, like that's not even what he ever said, is it? Like, you know, you know. By the way, when you listen, you're actually supposed to listen to all the words they say, not just wait for one word to jump out and then go ding, ding, ding. Dinner time. I'm, I'm all fucking salivating. Now, where's my dinner? Where's my dinner? You rang the bell. You said Faker. Fake T1, three world championships, rookie, like just fucking random well, free association. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's very hard to have thought exercises, Thorin, when a lot of fans are actually incapable of thinking. They just respond rapidly to whatever, uh, you know, bait. Well, the joke you put in front of them. is the problem is they're against both parts, thought and exercise. So, shout out luck with League Legends fans, aren't we? I know. <laughs> Essentially, Monty, unless we can encode your or wisdom into some sort of an E number that goes into some candy that or crisps that they eat. There's no way to get the shit into their system, is there? You know, that's the only way we could do it. Like, we're, essentially, this show has been like a like a ten year version of the movie Inception, where we're trying to incept in a people's idea the concept of macro. Just the concept. Like, once we have the concept in, we can do something with it. We've got to get the concept in there first. Because at the moment, Monty, the joke is they still think it's just the team fight. It's one of the reasons why I won't lie. I'd, you know, that has anyone ever noticed this? Let's see if fans notice this. Has anyone ever noticed Thorin always seems to have a way lower 
opinion of the LCS commentators than all the LCS fans. They always think they're, the, they're not only the best money, they think they're the best in esports. Here's why I look down on the LCS commentators. Bro, they still do the StarCraft 2 shit where they know a team is massively behind in items, gold, power levels, comp, scaling, but they still commentate it like it's 50-50 and whoever does better with the next punch wins the fight. They still do that shit, which I hated from StarCraft 2 because in StarCraft 2, if you know how the armies work, you know that one team has no one guy has no supply left and his bases are all wrecked and they're just coming in to kill his workers. Like, he's not going to hold. And in fact, beyond the most casual guy, you're like, it actually feels like you're insulting me and my intelligence when you pretend that it's an equal footing. Like, LCS still talks, guys. Like, the team fight at the end of the game, which just closes the game, is like the middle of the game and it's a 50-50. And it's like, oh, if this Zeri can just pop up, what, the Zeri and three items behind it? You know what I mean? Like, it's, it can't happen, you idiot. So that's why in general, like, Guys, LCS that's just why, is that's arcade why Noah League. And I would just talk about Star Wars and Jurassic Park. <laughs> have to. Because it gets boring like, eventually no. when you know where it's heading, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, time to be interesting because this game is not. Um, but to be fair to, to the. Oh, yeah, LCS and I'll also cast complete the joke, to be fair, since I was talking about LCS casters. I thought my joke on Twitter, look. It was mildly harsh, Monty, but it was funny, which uh -oh. is my brand, right? So as I said, if you don't know, guys, because of all the things that have happened and all the reflections she's going through in her life, Latigris has decided to change her brand. She doesn't want to be called Latigris anymore. She wants to be called Gabby Durden, which is her name now, apparently. I think she got married recently or something. Now, I said, just to, to honor her wish, Monty, that's all I'm trying to do, just be compassionate. I, I said, guys, I don't want to see you say anymore, Latigris sucks at casting. It's Gabby Durden sucks at casting, you know. It's what she would have wanted, Monty. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's all a, tis but a joke and sort of true, but also a joke. So I'll 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 sit in that part. I, I mean I I still that that experiment I think has has absolutely failed. You also, know, again, I, like guys, I've waited a whole week. It still hasn't stopped yet. If I see the name Luger and the Blender <laughs> <laughs> no, the joke is she's inadvertently being better ambassador for CLG brand than anyone in about the last five years she's I already mean, made me care about Luger there you go. Uh, I was watching the uh, the the Golden Guardians um, versus EG match and she started doing a Moomoo impersonations and the cast I was just like I can't I, ca I can't do it man I can't okay. it's, it's this is the, it's gone too far it's gone too far but uh, the uh the part where she did the the Luger quote, I think one of the things is that she uses too much intonation where it sounds almost cartoonish. It honestly sounded that moment that she was trying to do a red eye impersonation. All <laughs> oh, right, yeah. Oh, Luger, the bullet's running through his veins. He's in a fucking team fight. You're not going to believe this, lads. I, I'm Latigris. I mean, Gabby Durden. And uh, I'm here for it. Brutal, savage, wrecked. Luger, get out of there, son. Oh, it's ridiculous. Now you say it, I actually can hear it now. You're right, because you did sort of go into that graveling voice. It's the it, growling. It's the growling. Exactly. Um, you know, and uh, here, here's what I think. I think her range is actually really good. If it didn't, the, the thing is, is that if she, if she committed to like, a few of the intonation changes that were consistent, it would become a style. But instead, she just sounds like a voice actor trying to do every voice on the entire planet. It sounds like a voice acting reel where you're like, here's my range of character. Oh, it's like a hundred voices in 60 yeah, exactly. seconds or whatever. Right? Like, yeah, what is exactly. <laughs> this isn't a style. You're just showing me what you can do. Like, I, I don't get it. Yes, exactly. Um, but yeah. Uh, 
So anyway, back to back to LCK. Uh, <laughs> I am extremely excited for the the KT Gen G series. Oh, the next probably... matches are the best ones, guys. Like, first of all, this is just going to be a banger, and then whoever is in the final, you can make all the narratives you want for that. It's going to be sick in it. Like, these are going to be awesome matches. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I, I'm. I I am sad that one of these two teams is going to be exiting. Like, it would be nice to have all three of these teams at MSI. Um, I, KT is definitely like the more exciting team, but if they are also the less, the least disciplined of the teams yep. that are oh, still the there. Is, that's why I'm worried, Monty. Like I say, I said this before. Part of me to just be a troublemaker wants to see KT there. I mean, for a start off, KT against any LC, LC, LPL team would be amazing. What a fucking awesome series that would be. But I'm with you. Like the problem is, there's also the world where they're the one that fuck up and sort of <laughs> do the the Najin White Shield and just lose to the foreigners, etc. Right. I, I, I mean, see that just, too. It just feels like when they play T1, KT plays scared and they play differently. I mean, the last time we saw them, they tried to like play the Lucian Nami and take it away from, from T1 and they got completely like booty blasted in that series. Then they developed the pick style. Then we got to see, you know, they beat Gen G. By the way, you know, K KT has been beating Gen G this season. They've been, if anything, like the kryptonite to Gen That's G. That's why I want to see this matchup. Exactly. You know, in the third game of their last meeting, that's when the BDD t Twisted Fate first appeared and they like yeah. hard countered the Akali and they won that series. Before that, I mean, it was a really close series. That third game, you know, ended up not being particularly close. So I do wonder sometimes about um, Genji's drafting. But in the latest series against T1, like that game five, KT doesn't really play poke comps. They were forced to play a poke comp. They misplayed the poke comp. They allowed themselves to get uh, flanked. They lost their their minds when T1 started doing Baron and like hard committed with a poke composition without checking their flanks first. Faker gets the flank. Faker, Faker kills Keen. Um, and then it's like really problematic to them. The thing that is the advantage for KT is that they have it's it feels like they almost have too many too much range at certain points in time. Right. And so they don't actually they, they play all these different champions and they have these huge pools, but they don't always understand the best ways to put them together which I think is what gets them into trouble or they don't understand how to play with them as a team. Now they can get there. Like once they master a composition, like once we saw them master, like the Vi twisted fate pick compositions, they are really excellent at it. Right. But when we see them try new things, a lot of times they fall flat or they think they have more range as a team than they do. The advantage for KT is that because of their wealth of picks, they are probably the most dangerous red side team left in the bracket. Look at their match against Hanwha Life. Blue side is very good right now. You have to have some really, you know, sneaky picks in order for red side to work. But we saw Keen play the top lane rise in the match against Hanwha Life. Um, you know, we saw we saw these advantages really take hold um, because they could just counter pick on R5. And it worked really, really well for them. And Keen is just in amazing form at the moment. He is doing great. Like, um, oh, he's mega. Yeah. It's really hard to play against Keen because you feel like a lot of the time you have to ban the Jacks. If you don't ban the Jacks, and the Jacks didn't even come out, wasn't perma banned in the series, was banned one game, I believe. And he was just playing counter matchups. He's going to play the Gwen and the Cassante. You know, what happens if Gen G in this upcoming series, if the Cassante's left open? T1 didn't do that, but Keen can just play mid lane. You know, Keen can just play mid lane Gwen. If he has to, like, I'm sure they'll make that swap off if they need to. BDD has shown an enormous champion pool this season. Yeah, we think about the Twisted Fate. We think about the Talia. We think about the Azir before the Azir changes came into play. The Vagar now. But guess what? He's had some really fucking good Yone games as well. So his champion pool is huge. He looks really on form. 
KT is able to give up the Zeri, which arguably was a mistake because Viper was nearly able to carry several games in the series, but they're willing to play the Draven into it, which has been a good champion for aiming this split. He's had some really dominant uh, Draven games. Uh, Lehens has been really on form. I mean, this is a very good KT team, and they played entirely differently this week against Hanwha than they did last week against T1. We didn't see the TF, you know, for example. Um, so I really like where KT's going. Um, I think they are going to beat Gen G, but I think it's going to be a really close series. I also did think it was hilarious when they gave the Zeri up in that game because it's like, bro, there's one player on the other team can beat you by himself and you've given him the champion that enables him to do that, you fucking idiot. Like, like if the joke, that champion just peels for itself, does it can just fly around? Like, oh, it's so <laughs> dumb that they, I know. Why tempt fate? Why tempt I mean, fate? Viper Zaya is also just fucking amazing. Like, I don't know how you can watch Hanwha live and just not feel bad for Viper because Zeka was just fucking terrible oh, was in shit. this series. Yeah. He was so bad. Yeah. Um, it, it, just like inexcusably bad. I mean, even in the last game, like last year, guys, when we saw the RE meta really be dominant in spring, what happened, especially in the LPL, and then also a little bit in the LCK, was that the Vagar started coming out yep. as an answer to to some of these picks and because you can basically just put ari in the box and then ari can't ult or ults into a wall like it, it is very effective against ari you have a really safe laning phase honestly so you can get up to the point where you can just one shot the ari with targeted abilities like you know fuck it man like if she's just dashing around like an idiot you just press r and click on her and she just vaporizes the other thing is like i don't really understand what hama life was thinking with these fucking zillion picks you know BDD plays Vagar. Like, let, me, let me tell you. Also, about he those. used to play Zillion as well, dude. He used to be a Zillion player too. <laughs> That's true. Remember, because um, Bjergsen did that to him as well. I was like, bro, you're yep. playing it into a Zillion player. He he isn't like LCS unaware what the champion does. He knows. I, the funny thing is, we saw this exact mid lane matchup: Zier, uh, Bjergsen with Zillion into Vikla's yep. Vagar in LCS. Yeah. So this was life playing Zillion support. So it's a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. But the the problem with playing Zillion into Vagar at all, no matter if they're in a lane matchup or not, is that, it, okay, so the Chrono Shift comes out. You just target somebody else with the Vagar. Okay, uh, the, the Vagar doesn't use R. The Chrono Shift is used. You kill that person, they revive, and then you just kill them immediately with Vagar ultimate anyway. And especially as a support zillion, that's not going to have be giving the same amount of HP yep. to the target that's reviving. It basically is just you kill that person, they revive, Vagar R, they're dead. Um, the other problem is, even if you don't have Vagar R, when they're dead, you just put a fucking cage on their corpse, they revive directly into a stun, and they're dead. So uh, there's really not a lot of good options, right? Like, you can time Vagar the Dark Matter as well, right? So I, it is. It, it really is just a very bad pick into Vagar. And when you, the BDD is the Vagar player in the LCK. So if you want to, if you want to play it, fine, just fucking ban the Vagar. Like, goddamn. By the way, just as an aside, because obviously like with, with uh, Gen G, for example, we always talk about score. If people don't know, I've got a piece of interesting info. So if you don't know, the KT roster coach is Rapid Star, the old mid laner of Frost back in the day, etc. Here's some deep lore people aren't going to know, Monty, because I, I have the sort of brain that stores information like this. <laughs> so back in the day, people might remember one of the first teams that Rapid Star got a coaching gig on was with old mate fucking Reaper on EDG, if you remember. He was yep. working with EDG. And 
And so back in the day, this is hilarious. You can go look this up on Twitter. Go look up Rapid Star's name. It's like Min Seong Jong One, right? So look, basically go to his Leaguepedia and you'll get it from there. If you look up on his Twitter, use an advanced search function, put in Kelsey, right? Put in Karen Moser. It'll be K Aaron Moser, right? Because here's what's hilarious. This is one of the funniest, like, inadvertent interactions I've ever seen, Monty. Kelsey was doing what they all did back in the day in 2016, which is you watch the game and you sort of shit post on Twitter while the game's live, don't you? So all she did was a totally harmless tweet, Monty, that just said, like, Mako, stop carrying Rapid Star. Rapid Star himself came on Twitter and, first of all, like a boomer, tweeted, like, 10 times individually, not as a thread, at Kelsey directly. And some of them were fucking hilarious because it was a culture clash and he's coming from Korea he was even tweeting stuff like I'm happy to take constructive criticism but I don't appreciate mere random pick jokes which I believe is offensive and like <laughs> the, way, the whole way in this interaction took, it was the most harmless throwaway like light flame of all time and he was like for real like breaking it all down and he even at one point was so triggered guys I'm not joking you look all this up it's all on Twitter he even at one point said like that mad line when he triggered it just goes something like like essentially like if you disagree I think you should do the drafts for EDG. Like, what are you talking about? But it's a tweet. It's a fucking throwaway. So I just find it hilarious. He's back. He's just fucking back again. He's back. If you look at his Twitter, he hasn't used it for that long. He still has all Cloud9 branded on from when he was in their team like two years ago now. What a uh, fucking weird guy. What a strange guy. I mean, I'm I'm very good friends with uh, Rapid Star's partner um, and she's fluent in English. Uh, so she probably like helped him translate oh, right. some of that. Okay. Uh, she used to work at OGN. She is fucking awesome. Um, so Rapid Star finished his uh, his military service and is back in the thick of things. But he's a good coach from from all accounts. I mean, a lot of people have spoken highly of him and his coaching abilities. And I think KT is doing very well right now. So he and Supreme, who are the strategic coaches, must be doing something right. But yeah, he probably will see a lot of the English quotes that are that are said about him because of uh, because of his, uh, you know, relationship. That that's funny. That's probably where that I just came thought from. it was funny because I'm sure even Kelsey was like, "What the fuck? Why is because this is 2016, guys? Not like now when everyone's on Twitter. Like back then, like why the hell would a Korean be tweeting at me? Like like when I've told that story about my flame coma, it's not like he came on Twitter right after and was like, all right, bitch, one v one me at the Baron, like you know. And then he got back to me through a back channel. He didn't like it. He didn't just flame me directly. Did he? Like Dorin, I find this offensive. Your joke about me removing Faker from MSI, like <laughs> and spoiler, it wasn't a joke. You ruined esports history. <laughs> and also, I'll just say this, Koma. Once you let EDG, the LPL, win that one international tournament, what happened since? Yeah, exactly, motherfucker. They've had MSI on lock for a start off. And then secondly, it was the beginning of all the end, wasn't it? Years later, you just gave up the whole kingdom. The whole kingdom. <laughs> um. So, yeah, I, I think uh, as we look at T1 as well, and we, we do have to talk about T1 a little bit here because – I. Fans were saying that this series, it seemed like the the opinion was that the series wasn't very close versus Gen G. Like Gen G probably should have won game two of this series. And it, it felt like this should be a five-game series. Faker had an amazing engage on Lissandra, but as I said on Power Spike, I think the key to remember about T1 is where their strengths are. It's not necessarily in making the best macro plays, right? They are a skirmishing team. They like to outplay you in the skirmish. They like to outplay you in the team fight, and they are insanely good at doing that. Insanely good. I think the reason why Gen G wants to operate this strategy where they're cross-mapping for gold is because they know they need advantages in order to fight T1. And yeah, they fucked up. But the thing about T1 that we have to remember, what makes them so great right now 
is that they understand the win conditions of these team fights so perfectly. That's why they were able to beat KT despite a huge deficit in that final game because they knew they had to like force them into fights and get a flank and like basically forced the KT to overcommit and overreact to a Baron situation, which allowed them to get a foothold back into the game. When we look at the, the Gen G series, they are really good at tracking cooldowns, like old cooldowns, summoners cooldowns. They, they will skirmish you, get them, get them, get you to blow those abilities before a Drake fight then fight you at Drake and play perfectly around the abilities that are down. The reason why Faker was able to get that Lissandra engage wasn't because it was a fucking surprise. It's because KT made a positional error in clustering, but also they saw the opportunity. Faker made the play, clawed in, and then flash W'd onto them and then ulted to zone them out of the fight so that the Malka or the Malphite ult then did nothing because there was no follow-up damage onto, onto Gumiyushi's Aphilios. But also it was possible because Pace didn't have the Zaya ult. Like if the Zaya ult is there and he ha- he's able to use that instead of going into a, an hourglass um, or a stopwatch, I should say, a stopwatch stasis um, for two seconds where he's not able to do damage and he's not able to actively move around, that team fight probably goes very differently. But this was a game that was played on very small margins and T1 won because they are a very good team at what they do. But let's just say, for example, you know, some of these Drake fights go differently and Genji wins them with the gold advantage they had accrued going in. What happened is that both teams basically decided to all in on very specific timings. And they agreed. They handshook third dragon, fourth dragon. Here's the handshake. We are going to fight here. And Genji said, we are going to fight here with a gold lead. And T1 said, we are going to fight here with an ultimate and summoner spell lead. And T1 won. Um, but if, if those go slightly differently, this is a very, very different series. And Gen G played a very good series. Chovy played a very oh, good series. It's um, like you say, they at least gave themselves a conceivable way to win. Why I hate, and I've always said this, Monty, in LCK, is when teams just handshake that they're going to lose to a better team playing the same style. Like, there's no point just going directly into what T1 wants. If you can find some angle that you can maybe get any edge, you've got to go for it. Even if it ends up, like you say, it didn't work this time, but at least they had a chance. Yeah. And I don't know how you guys want Genji to, to play against T1. They have their own style. Their style is extremely effective. They're one of the best teams yeah. in the world. But like, do you just want them to fight every single dragon in the early game against T1? Like that, they'll just lose. Like they're definitely going to lose. Probably, if they try here's the to do thing, that. Monty. This must be the nephews who are the equivalent of the idiots in the bar watching the UFC fight where they're like, think about me is I just won't go down. You know, I've got too much harm. I'm, I'm Irish, you know, like I just fucking, I'd probably like take it. And then as I'm about to go out, I'd go like, not on my watch. And I'd be back up again. That's what, that's what they want in league. They're like, I tell you what, I'm just built different money. Team fights around a dragon. I don't care if I'm down, if I'm up. Tell you what, I'm fucking you up. I'm, I'm peeling on your back. You know, like, give me a break. Like, they're, they're, they're so people who are like, you know, Floyd May- Mayweather is the fucking worst. Like, he doesn't actually yeah. go on the attack. It's like, you, you have to realize that teams are playing into their style. What you're really saying is you hate Gen G's style. That's what you're yes. saying. They just think it's boring, let's be real. Like they do every <laughs> macro team, they think it's boring. <laughs> and and the thing is, is that there are very exciting players on Gen G. It's not like they don't have stars. Chovy is one of the best players in the world. Pays has been an amazing it's been a revelation player. I mean, yeah. Like he and Leave, like we're gonna see when the dust settles after these playoffs, but he and Leave are definitely like the top rookies in the world. 
as of 2023. Now, we haven't seen Leafs playoff performance. Again, the nerves could come in. The nerves haven't come in for Pays, guys. Like, he did a great job. He did a great job in this series. So, I, I you know, I really, I really think Gen G played well. I don't think that this result is indicative of what a future series could be. I think this should have been a five-map series. I think Gen G really should have won game number two of this series if, there, if it wasn't for T1's incredible team fighting, which is the factor you have taken to play. That's what brought them back in game five versus KT was really good awareness of how to play against K KT's team composition, which abilities were up, and their ability to force teams to fight them. That is the T1 edge, right? This is why T1 is probably the best team in the world right now, because they can play from behind because they are so smart about how they take fights. Thing is, though, I'm with you. The, I guess the problem is this. Gen G is the second best team in LCK, but I agree. The problem is the main kryptonite is KT, and that's the team that might now eliminate them in third place. So if if, KT, if Gen G don't get to go to MSI, I actually feel a bit sorry for him. I know what you mean. Like they are actually the second best team. It's just unfortunately the nightmare is that you're falling in your side as the third or fourth best team. You know, that's yeah. you're gonna have to run into them eventually, aren't you? And, and the thing about KT too is that KT has just gotten remarkably better over the second round robin. And they continue to improve. And I think what's scary about KT is they're going to take that fifth game against T1 and they're going to learn from it. And they, they've they shown that maybe they can beat T1. Like, it's it really is a remarkable playoffs, I think, in LCK. Like, this has been... Uh, thank God we have the double elimination now, guys. Um, you know, if we didn't have double limb, then we just probably wouldn't have been able to see this KT versus Gen G match, which would have sucked. I also just love that it actually like ties into my old theory about like hermeticism and the occult that like what you name yourself is very important because if you name yourself Rollster, as in like roller coaster guys, and then your <laughs> org does this for 10 years, just saying, maybe learn, you know what? Like, because the joke is as long as they've been called Katie Rollster, they have been a roller coaster team to follow. Like the highs are crazy, the lows are deadly insane. You just whipping between the two constantly. You're doing loop the loops, so oh, it's ridiculous, isn't it? It actually I, is. I just like how we're just so far removed from the original meaning of the 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 roll the rollster now because they're still called KT Rollster, but they removed the roller coaster from their logo. So yeah, uh, we took just, off the little uh, the the wheels or the whatever track. it was, didn't they? Yeah, yeah the, exactly. The, like loop yeah. track. So now they're yeah. just called Rollster with no reference to the actual roller coaster. Every day we stray further from God's yes, light in terms exactly. of branding, guys. Everything is an acronym yes. uh, that doesn't actually mean anything anymore. Oh, and it's it when they do that shit like TSM where they go, oh, sorry, it's not actually Team Solomon anymore. It's just TSM. Like, well, what does it stand for? It's just TSM, so it's corporate just TSM, TSM limited. We have, we have the worst logo of all fucking time. Like, it's just so fucking ugly. Yeah, it, it's, but yeah, Rollster, by the way, this is very common in, it doesn't make sense in English. They're applying Korean language to English. So in Korean, it's very common in a phrase to take the first syllable of the first word and the last syllable of the, the second word and jam them together to create a shortened, a single two-syllable shortened word um, that combines both for ease of use. But when you apply it to, Engl to English, you end up with Rollster, which is just hilarious. Yeah. So it, it requires very specific knowledge of Korean and English language to even understand what the fuck is going on with KT. And we could have just had finger boom instead, which 
It's very fitting. Might though, have like been better. De- definitely, it works for the narrative of the team. I'll give you that. Right. What about this then? If we pivot to LCS, I have a very specific topic I want to start with here because I noticed a couple of other people, like I saw Amazing made a similar point. I can't believe everyone's not making this point. You know that great discussion? We had it ourselves a couple of, it might even be in last week, Monty. You know the discussion of who is your MVP of the LCS? Is it Prince or is it Berserker? The two obvious candidates, right? Who've basically had the big pop-offs and their two teams are the best teams. Dude, it killed me inside when I saw that graphic where they were like, here are your five candidates for the MVP and three of them are from Cloud9, right? Think this through, guys. If Berserker is the most valuable player, how can two players on his team simultaneously also potentially be the most valuable player? What are we doing at this point in time? Like, and also, I didn't do this. Like, I still think Berserker is a legitimate pick if you have a different reason than me. But... If you actually look at the way that was structured, Prince wins automatically. He's the only fucking FlyQuest player, even in the Con 4. And since his team's almost as good as that, doesn't he just win? Like, I think that that the way that was just framed almost ruins the Con 4. If it was just like there was three people, let's say, it, say that same graphic, Monty, was just gory, berserker, Prince. Now you can have a good convo. Now you can set it up reasonably. Now we can do the con- I think you actually spoil the convo when you put the other two Cloud9 players in. Because the oh, question, yeah. the obvious question is this one. Even if it's that you guys thought, like I'll give you the example. The obvious example is Blabber, right? Blabber is also incredibly influential. In fact, I might even argue Blabber is more influential on whether Berserker can carry a game than whether Berserker is a better ADC. Prince doesn't have Blabber. He has Speaker, mate. That's a, they'll notice Speaker didn't make the list. So what I would say is this. What is Fudge doing there? Why is Fudge a third player from Cloud9 on there? Has anyone, by the way, is there a single human, including Fudge, who thinks he's the most valuable player of Cloud9? What is going on? Like, guys, you've just lost the plot. The joke here, Monty, is they ain't Korean. They've got no excuse for having all these fuckers in there. We're supposed to believe you can be, like, mate, my boy Aaron Rodgers was the MVP of the league twice in a row because people understand his team sucks and doesn't have all the best wide receivers (laughs) and don't have some, like, all-pro fucking, you know, like, they don't have, everyone gets that. Like, I don't know what people are even trying to do with this MVP for. (laughs) (laughs) i mean god god only knows it continues to be embarrassing um those awards are just going to be a joke forever aren't they they're never going to take it seriously it's it's, it uh, we already knew what the answer was going to be after berserker was voted first on the all pro team like it's definitely going to be berserker it is yeah unless there's like a crazy left field blabber pick but that would be very weird Especially because we also know historically there's always recency bias in how people vote in these fucking polls. Like they don't here's the problem. Prince did it exactly the wrong way if you want to be the MVP. You don't carry the first three or four weeks. You've got to carry the last three or four weeks. And the reason I don't like it is I actually think on some level, Riot's sort of right. If you ever look at Cloud9, Cloud9 isn't a one-man team. Like I just said before, isn't everyone agreeing that Blab is some like generational jungle talent who completely affects the game? Right? Spoiler. If you're ADC, the number one thing you want is a super gank-heavy fucking jungler who goes crazy on the map. Like, not only does he get you ganks, he fucks up the other jungler. That's your dream scenario. Like, I just think the way people set it up, it's so silly. Like, I don't know what they're discussing at this point in time. And they just now discussing, like, which player do you like best on Cloud9? Like, we're not even discussing <laughs> who the MVP is anymore. What? I mean, I, I think the, the list of the top five was just silly i think you can do top three with three different players from different teams like you said and it's totally fine and i think we already know it's going to be berserker because the they released all pro first so bit of a bummer bit of a bummer but what can you do i mean i think cloud nine is also just unquestionably the best team having seen these these last couple of weeks i mean eg just had such a tragic 
fucking embarrassing performance oh, against Golden Guardians. Yep. Credit to Golden Guardians. You can't beat, I mean, you can't just dismantle EG that easily without playing well yourself. We've saw we've seen Licorice like do much better in the playoffs than he had yep. done previously. Gory and River completely dominated. But it's where Licorice definitely did like that move scene in the movie where he wasn't just washed, Monty. He was dead. He was buried. There was a grave that said Licorice. We put we placed a flower on it, but as we turned away, you know what? He <laughs> did do that. Yeah, he did. He came up exactly. The, the arm came up, and there's still life there. There's still some. Might be a zombie. I don't know yet, but he's still some life there at the moment. It's true. Well, I mean, he's playing a lot of carry champions too, and he's doing well. He had a very good performance, like legit, a very good performance against EG. But part of this was also just EG completely griefing. Like I. I don't know if I've seen them play this badly other points in time. I I, I was laughing. Oh, they were with, whack. Uh, like some of the re-engages and some of the times they got dude, caught. Oh, it was a disgrace. Dude, I was laughing with Dom because Closer cast the second game of this series. And he you could tell he was just so deeply confused by what the fuck EG was doing. Like they would literally see River killing Scuttle Crab. And then Vulcan would like walk into Tribrush and just die to a Maokai that he knew was there and a Rel that he knew was coming. And I was like, what is he, what is even happening? And then River just walks into mid lane and kills Jojo Pian immediately afterwards. It was bizarre. In in the final game of this series, when Licorice was playing Rumble, Jojo Pian was split pushing in bot. It was 26 minutes into the game. Licorice is split pushing bot. He's very fed. Uh, Jojo comes up on Lissandra. Licorice chunks him out. Someday TP's bot. When Baron is up, when Licorice has TP, they don't even, he just, Licorice literally just walks away, TPs to Baron, and then they have a one HP Lissandra and a Malphite bottom with no TP, and they lose Baron. Like, I don't even know how it's possible to play this badly at a professional level. Like, JoJo was terrible. Oh, man, one of the first things I was thinking of, again, remember, I'm always looking at a bigger picture, Monty. I'm never like a prisoner of the moment in general. Obviously, I am like a motherfucker for Vitality in the LEC, but we all have our biases. So in general, I try to look at the bigger picture. You know what I've been thinking this whole fucking year? Mate, what a difference Peter Don makes to a team. Remember, in theory, this is like an upgraded version of Peter Don's EG. But where is the coherence of how they play, how they draft, how they work around Jojo, etc.? Mate, Jojo looks night and day when he used to be on Peter Don's team. He actually was one of the best mid laners when he played under him. Like, he sort of had all his weaknesses covered. He just looked good in LCS. He's had some mad sus games this split. I I mean, he built he built Everfrost Hourglass on Ari as it he finished the game with cooldown boots, Everfrost. Like, what the fuck is he going to do? Like, why even play Ari? Why, why, why even, why even play it? Like, I, why? Um, he, I, I have to say, like, Jojo Pian may still be recovering from whatever sickness he had. Well, he was but, ill a few weeks ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I, I don't want to read too much into it, but. I think so I'm with you on that specific pick, though, Monty. It's why I've always thought, like, it's horrible when Ari comes into the meta in Asia because inevitably some fucking LCS player plays it and does nothing the whole game. Because one of the worst things about Ari, I'll give you an analogy, Monty. One of the things in MMA that actually semi-ruins the sport is when people who are amazing at wrestling get a knockout win.
win because what happens is they become addicted to becoming boxers. And what they'll do is just box all these fights that they could be winning by wrestling, right? That's what an Ari's like. What happens is you play Ari as a mid laner and you have that one game where you perfectly ult and get like a kill. You shouldn't be able to get under their tower and get out alive. And the and when that lights up, those little dopamine pleasures, oh, the reward circuit, mate. People are chasing that fucking dragon for years after that. The amount of shit Ari games they'll throw in after that's mental. Because in their brain, they always think just like the, the guy. But if I catch him, it's over. It's over when I do it. And you never do. All you do, all you need to know is this. Any Ari that just only uses the ult to get out, it's like, get off the fucking server. Get off the server, you asshole. That's supposed to be OP as fuck if you know what you're doing. Yeah, I, I, but it, it just hurts to see Jojo Pian like this because he used to yes. be so aggressive. and like, oh, He was that killing was, it on Victor was, and stuff last year, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, he was a playmaker. And like he just completely... He like morphed into Bjergsen this series. Like, I don't understand. This is not the win. And he needs modern Bjergsen, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> not the good one that used to be the MVP of the league. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, Lissandra build Everfrost, you know, Zonia's first yes. Ari. Like, I, I, I it, it's just so confusing, this team. Like, they played a, they, they played a horrific ma series in terms of macro. Horrific. Dude, the um, way that he was playing, they should rename him Jojo Peon. <laughs> there you go, not bad. Not bad, not bad. Not bad. And also, um, technically, he even does tie in some mad deep lore way into the fact that, like, League is daughter, which actually came from Warcraft 3, and a Peon obviously is the most weak unit. So just basic <laughs> as shit, isn't it? So pretty, pretty based, actually, that analogy. Not bad. Very good, very good. Uh... I, I think also Golden Guardians came in very prepared. They were flexing the Cassante like we've seen from Gen G. That was great. They were Licorice was really activated on some of these unconventional picks like the Rumble. Uh, they were taking away the Tristana after game one. And then who he was able to play engaged supports. And he had some really nice engages. Uh, but again, EG put up basically no resistance. Like it seemed Dude, like they the one thing I want to ask you was this, right? The thing that most underwhelms me about EG's performances, mate, if I go right now and I look on Leaguepedia and I open the rosters, that roster still looks like it should be in the final. Dude, look at the players they have. Like, actually, it's almost inconceivable how underwhelming the finished product was. Like, this should be a banger roster. Whoever GM'd it looked like they did an awesome job of the offseason. They did all the right moves like we've discussed. So, like, it's just ended up being less than some of its parts. So, it's so sad. Yeah. I think the illness, whatever happened, really hurt them. But we had this discussion on Power Spike, which is how much of a fraud is Evil Genius is for running this roster. They arguably upgraded, especially on Danny's current yeah. form towards the end of summer. Uh, with FBI and like someday is maybe a slight downgrade to impact, but he's still one of the best like weak side top laners. He didn't change their style fundamentally and they just played an absolute garbage series. It's been a lot of drama around EG though. Probably got to them somewhat the sickness, the lack of practice, but I, I think for you're all saying the hype, that they were down with the sickness then Monty, they were right? down okay. with the sickness. Okay. Ooh, ah, wow. yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. There you go. It's all good. It's all good. I set you up. Uh, the, I think what's depressing is that the end of this LCS season of what was supposed to be so competitive yep. ended up with golden guardians oh, in the top in three and uh, cloud nine looking like they're just going to absolutely dumpster whoever reaches them in the final. Like FlyQuest never actually put their teamwork together and arguably have gotten worse uh, individually. I mean, the joke, obviously, this is how you're supposed to set it up, Monty, is you go, well, you know what? In the end, I guess that, you know, Korean team did do well. 
not Team Liquid, of course. Talk about Golden Guardians, you know. Fucking give me a break. Like, it's ridiculous, <laughs> isn't it? Because they do have all the imports. Fair play. Okay. I, credit to Golden Guardians, though. They were playing well, basically. Or some of their players were playing well all split, and it was just yeah, Licorice great. who was terrible. And yeah. once they, you know, Stixane was performing above level, Gorian River had been great. And as soon as Licorice, like, snapped into a somewhat of a form, now they actually look like they're pretty good. I would I say if people were watching last year's, I know people always thought that like analysts were overrating River on Dignitas because Dignitas isn't good, obviously. Now you see why. Like that guy always was showing promise to me, mate. Like, he actually just a good player. And it's in, a, in the right team now, the team that works for him. Yeah. I, I, I don't read too much into this EG series because they played so egregiously badly that mid ganks were effectively free for Gory and River. Not to say that Vikla hasn't been inting the, the laning phase. Oh, yes. Which, yeah, he definitely has, which obviously could be a huge problem for FlyQuest in their matchup. Uh, but I don't, I find it difficult to believe that the same level of mistakes will be made by EG. Their, their play was just totally miserable. The obvious question is this, like, I'm going to guess almost everyone thinks FlyQuest will find a way to beat Golden Guardians, go to the final. Probably, yeah. The problem is... They better have a total different fucking game plan for Cloud9 in the final, mate. Like, that that series was shit. Like, that was supposed to be the series we were all waiting for as, like, the marquee matchup. Like, let's see. In fact, let's see the MVPs go ahead to head. What a fucking underwhelming upper bracket match that was. FlyQuest, they only even got going, like, anywhere in the game three. It's like the draft was shit. The fucking play was shit. Everything was lackluster. This is also why I will say we nailed this, mate. Notice how from the beginning of the split, we stressed two things to people. One, Prince is actually way better than his name. If you don't know this guy, you're going to think he's not that good. He's going to be cracked. But we also did say, like, Vickler is good. But he definitely isn't some monster, mate. Like, he was someone himself who could be, like, up and down when he was on KT. Like, sadly, he is the player that's just degraded... At, ever since he got to NA, hasn't he? He's like, it feels like he's every two weeks he gets worse, mate. He's kind of whack now, unfortunately. Uh, he is, and he he's he's playing over-aggressively at times in the laning phase, but honestly, like, Ayla's Rakan was the was the true tragedy. He, I should, think he was... should be not even allowed in LCS, mate. I'm sick of this guy. I'm sick <laughs> of this guy. If people want to know another example, you might all think if you're a Team Liquid fan, come on, bro. Forget dodging bullets, we're catching them all. Oh no, there was a world, go look it up. When last season, the off-season, Steve had to say all the right things about how he downsized. They tried to imply they were going to replace Core JJ, like the franchise player of Team Liquid, with Elia. They were going to put him in instead. They were trying to flex that, like Harry and fucking Ayla would be like the bot right, right, right. Like that was, that was fucking egregious as shit. This guy is, the, the, the joke is... He should actually almost have never come back once they put Winsome in. Like, once they started winning, they should have just stuck with that lineup. I mean, it's hindsight now. We all thought maybe it was an upgrade, but hindsight, look, it did check out 2020. You would, if you could go back now, you would just never play Ayla, would you? Well, I, I think that there's probably very good reasons that they're playing Ayla over Winsome. Like, there could be scrim results. I don't think they're doing no. this on a lark. Like, they have, it's not like they don't have access to both no, players. No, it just hasn't so. worked, mate. He's not the player they clearly think he is. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what the best solution to this issue is. Like, it seems that they're probably pretty unhappy with both of these supports. Maybe if they can engineer some sort of trade with Team Liquid for Court JJ, if, if Team Liquid's going to blow up their League of Legends team after underperformance, that might be an option for them. Uh, they would certainly, I think, be a lot better, even though Court JJ himself has not been performing well, but could be a, you know, I think he could be rehabilitated on this roster. Um, and there would be, like, at least a honeymoon phase where they could work it out. 
I think the the trouble is they they have a very poor support player, and that might also be causing Prince to degrade in form if he feels like he has to do even more carrying as a result. And then in in, in the mid lanes case, I mean, Vickla, it even limits your draft. Like you just can't draft certain bot lanes at the moment if your support's not good enough. Yeah, I think I think Vikla. He, something's gotten into his head too. Like, why is he building Crown Victor in the first game of this series when he could just walk into a brush and get hit by a Maokai sapling and trigger Crown? Like, he could just get hit by Heimerdinger or whatever, uh, like a piercing arrow from Berserker on Varus. There's no good point to building Crown in this game because it's so easily popped in non-ideal uh, circumstances, or it's just popped in the neutral when you're setting up and poking before a fight, and then by the time you join the fight, your Crown is not active. So it's a very bad build. I think in this game and Vikla himself, he used to maybe he, he used to. So the, the demise of Vikla went like this dominate then kind of into the laning phase, but like get back and split push and team fight. Well, now he's not even doing that. So he's just inting in lane and then never doing anything. So it's a bad position to be in. That sucks, man, especially because unfortunately here's the other part. If FlyQuest beats GGS, then FlyQuest's also going to MSI, aren't they? So fucking... <laughs> the problem now is, like, that re that was really tantalizing those first four or five weeks, Monty. It's, it's not really that tantalizing anymore, is it? Like, I feel like Prince is just going to be fucking trapped. He's ELO held, isn't he? If he goes international. Uh, I mean, maybe. I, I think the support issue is the biggest issue here uh, for for FlyQuest. So I think they're going to have to make some sort of change. Yeah, think how much they're going to get gapped. Like, dude, all the supports there are going to be god tier for LCK, etc. Come on, boys. I mean, he's some getting gapped by, by Sven, and Sven is not... Yeah. I mean, the support position is very weak overall in LCS That's right also now. why like, I was so... Weak. I thought it was so sad about EG. You're supposed to automatically have that unlock with Vulcan. You already... You got one of the best already. Nah, the whole thing's just sad, mate. <laughs> well, and even though Sven is doing pretty well the the level of competition is low and i would say arguably sven underperformed in a meta where 80 carries were supports where we would have expected him to be completely yep. dominant uh and that hasn't been true so and also you know he underperformed because he wasn't even one of the mvp candidates <laughs> give me a fucking break i know what's meant with it that's also Despite the funniest part about that is imagine being the two cloud nine players who aren't on that list like what's the inference that you're so shit three of them might be the best player in the whole league but you're just trying to like what's what, what, the inference become I know. What, here's how bad here's how bad lcs is to support thorin sven is arguably the best support player in the lcs it's like him or vulcan right yep and he, you know neither of them is going to be an mvp candidate Rough, man. Yeah. It's rough. Yeah. It's rough. Um, <laughs> I mean, even Caria was like throwing shade at Sven. I don't know if you saw that interview. Yeah, I saw headline, yeah. Yeah, where he was saying like he just doesn't even think about Sven, <laughs> but he likes Mickey X or whatever. <laughs> just true. I think Mickey X has had a great year. Um, he's had a very good year. But the support, the support pool is just it, the mid and support pools in NA are just really tragic right now. Um, it's it's gonna be rough. And if Vikla's feeding in games with these mid laners, pretty sure you guys don't want to see him versus some of the, the Asian mid laners that are going to be out there. Uh, LCS, I just think at the end of the day, this is going to be a, a cloud nine, you know, hard stomp in the final. I really hope I'm Looks wrong. Like it. 
I'd love FlyQuest to like give them a run for their money. Here's the obvious win. thing. I, here's the thing I hope for, Monty. This just feels like Hanwha against Genji. It's like you can't really beat them. So at least can I get just like I got a Viper pop off. Can I at least have one Prince pop off game? Yeah, can I just have one analogy. draft where he gets the PO for the fucking champion that can carry and he just like, goes off? Give me one and he can win the series. I'm cool with that. It's okay. Because <laughs> let's be real, it should be FlyQuest against fucking Cloud9 anyway for the title and Cloud9 should win. So that's all good. It's all good if it goes like that. I, I said this on Twitter as well, but something that's been really ignored about Cloud9 is that everybody was memeing on Cloud9 systems in spring oh. when they were like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, we, you know, LS didn't fit with the Cloud9 systems and the way we want to operate the team. So they got rid of him and everybody's like, oh, you're so stupid. You started so strong with LS and like this was his roster. Why don't you just let him cook? And meanwhile, oh, yeah, guys, what happened? Well, after they had a chance to retool the roster in the way that they wanted to for summer, because remember, they were kind of committed. They literally dropped the MVP of the split in Summit because he wasn't working with the team. Uh, how'd that go? Oh, right. They won summer improbably. And here they are again in another final back to back. And they are huge favorites this time. Not like last time, guys, where it was kind of a surprise. Now they are massive favorites in the final of the LCS. So how are the systems going now, guys? All you guys who are memeing on them, all you guys who are complaining, all you guys who are criticizing them ever since they doubled down on their own on their own techniques, on their own infrastructure, they've reached back-to-back -back finals. One, one will probably win another one. So seems like the faith in that was pretty justified from cloud nine. Also, just because I've been keeping track of this, everyone now finally was, well, not really now, because unfortunately we know that Cloud9 probably wins, but everyone was hyped for the playoffs finally. You know, these big teams, we had all this in theory parity from like two to five. I know some people actually believed 100 Thieves were going to win. You're just a fucking mark. I mean, the joke there is I'm talking in an shot, but no, whoever might have thought they were going to win, they were never going to win, you fucking moron. I could have sat double if down with the truth serum and he, sodium pentothal, and he told me, nah, yeah, probably just going to lose. So Springsport doesn't matter. Like, oh shit, why that's not long? Like he was on a Lenovo broadcast. But what I'll say is this, if you think this split was lackluster, guys, you're not ready for the depression you're going to sink into when MSI happens and then the summer split begins and you remember... Oh, shit, we're the only region that has that whack format. Back to the round robins again. No, <laughs> not the round robin mines, not the PO1s. You must dig more mines. Get off, please. Like, the, the, I remember there was an old cartoon, right? It was like a Jane Silent Bob, but there was like an animated version, Monty. And they did this one where it was a spin-off of like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And they get like trapped into like a slavery, essentially, with like some like weird, like it, it, yeah. Middle Eastern looking guys, like, like whipping them and stuff. And the joke goes, the guy makes you like, because he's a literal slave driver. He makes you like, you know, carry all like fucking rocks or whatever. And then you're like, oh, I need a break. And he's like, for break, you stack wood. And then he's like whipping you. So like the joke is even your break is like, like, oh, bloody hell. Like that's what it's like in fucking LCS. It's like back to the best of one minds. No, no, please. Like, double round robin. Like mate, people aren't going to be able to tolerate it. It's going to be so whack. Like, because the other format, like I keep saying, LEC is perfect. You just feel like you get this little taste of like, okay. And now to the next phase. Now it's best of these little taste of that. Now it's onto the playoffs. LCK, if people haven't noticed, 
Double Elim has revolutionized LCK playoffs. No longer do we have that shit where it's like, well, Gen G would have been great against T1 Monty, but in the gauntlet they had to play KT, who beat them, therefore we never get to see the Gen G team. No, now you get all the matchups. Look, the LPL, which you won't go into, has been fucked. That's just because teams actually lost. That's like what should happen. An underdog team actually beat them. Like LCS is going to look so bad in summer. It was, it was, it was a struggle in spring. It's because the problem here is where's the juice? You have to wait so long basically to get to these matches you want. Like, first of all, FlyQuest 100 Thieves. That should have been amazing. It was dog shit. Then you get the upper bracket final. Well, that's the real final money. It was garbage. Like, when do we get the good matches? I want, I want real high-quality games. Can I have some, please? Ever, uh, please. I, I, LCS is basically just League of Legends played at 0.5 speed, uh, from what I can tell. It is crazy to watch this region compared to watching, you know, Korea or China, oh, where it just feels so slow a lot of the times by the way the same motherfuckers who are criticizing gen g are just like jerking themselves off over 100 thieves right now i guarantee you (laughs) (laughs) there's there's some guy out there who's like gen g so boring i love me some also you know what i as much as i criticize riot monty i've got to give him credit here's where the round robin system does work because remember what all those boneheads said monty where they were like 100 Thieves is on a winning streak. Yeah, against the fucking LCS. We just described half the teams as shit. But the winning streak makes it sound like, oh my God, they were the best teams. Like, you can just take off those wins and chuck them in a bin. They're irrelevant, aren't they? Like, unless you're beating Cloud9, who gives a shit, basically. Yeah. Um, I mean, these teams are just not not going to perform well internationally. I think we can say that with pretty big confidence right now. And as your points about the format, here's a little spoiler for you guys. LCS is going to change to the LEC format next year. That's what my little sources say. I mean, that would be um, awesome. I'll be looking forward to that. I, You know, Thorne, I thought they weren't going to do it because I thought that they wouldn't want to pay for an extra broadcast day uh, okay. because that's very expensive, especially in Los Angeles. Um to uh, with with the professionals that they have operating, you know, operating the broadcast. Um I thought they weren't going to do it, but it seems like they are trending in that direction. Even though the viewership is down, Riot seems really committed to the LCS. So that's the whole thing, guys, is that's how we know the LCS can't possibly be that unprofitable for Riot because they're continuing to put money into it. They seem very eager. So the marketing exercise must be going very well. But they don't actually tell the teams how well the marketing exercise is going, of course. Of course. Monty, here's all you need to know, because I understand American fans. There are certain things you will never get into their brain. Like we said about macro concepts, doing cross-map plays, doing two things at once on the map. Even worse than that will always be the double limb, the understanding of the format. And here's the meme, guys. You know the meme where the guy's at that party and he's on his own in the corner and he's like, they don't even know. And then all the people are dancing with girls, but he's like some edgelord incel guy. He's like, they don't even know that. You're that guy. What's happening is here's who's dancing. Someone make this graphic for me. In the, There's three sets of couples dancing, isn't it? So the one of them is like TI champion. One of them is like winner of LCK. One's like LPL champion. And you're the guy in the corner. Like, they don't even know none of these championships are legitimate because there should be a bracket reset. Like, guys, no, no one. There's only you care about that, literally. We've all made our peace with the bracket reset so long ago. <laughs> the amount of shit compromises we've had to make in esports, that's not even one of the worst ones, guys. Like we've explained a million times, it's worth it for the upside, isn't it? I'll take oh, yeah. all the mega low bracket games. Like, for example, when K- Genji and Katie have this banger now, I'll take that for being going. But if T1 lost in the final, technically they never lost twice. Who gives a shit? Who actually <laughs> gives Even though normally I'm a stickler for that one, who gives a shit? 
I, I understood that was the price when I accepted it. It's not uh, a big deal. It isn't. I, I, Guys, you, please. You know, you know that be... conflict of interest, there are certain things they'll never understand, Monty. Unless we speak another language. You know, you know that that is the thing that tilts me the most in esports. That is, the, If you yes. want to tell Monty, the number one thing you can say yes. is as, as, as you stare blankly into space and drool escapes your lips, but there is no bracket reset it's like motherfucker you don't understand anything about this <laughs> at all like so you just want a shit format because of no bracket reset so you think that we can play two best of fives of league of legends in the same day so you want us to rent a stadium remember, remember everyone's losing money in esports remember esports winner you want us to rent a stadium yeah. for an entire additional day that we may not even need fuck you like this is so <laughs> stupid we have to make a compromise right now would i here here guys would i rather just have a best of three at best of fives across multiple days of course i would that would be rad we did that with overwatch league it was cool but we can't have that right now guys we cannot have it right now we have to be real about what we can accept and this is way better than a single elimination bracket you are dumb <laughs> fucking hate i just i just love the way <laughs> things never get through like if people don't know probably one of my favorite periods in league was the literal like two weeks in which every person who was an NA of LCS fan told us that like there wasn't a conflict of interest between Doublelift, Lena and like TSM and that besides it's not like they never do anything like leak info and then like <laughs> and then they just woke up that day like well there you go then I guess that's just happened because think how rarely you ever get that like moment I, actually I, I, off I, like that. I remember waking up that day and looking at it and then I immediately texted you and I was like is this real? I, I know like, exactly. Am I dreaming? Exactly. This, can't pos this must I, be a I, lucid dream or something. Exactly. <laughs> I can't. I can't. Like I, I was doubting myself that it was actually true, <laughs> yeah. and like the words I was hearing uh, from the clips on the stream were real because I was like, no, th yes. this is like my dreams are reality. Oh, the joke is that, like you could easily believe Monty that that happened this year, but it was like us using those like AI programs that can like mimic the voices. Of, you know those like <laughs> fake clips they put out yeah, like yeah. Biden or whatever. You could believe the that. Like fakes. the joke is this is what our skit would have been for Lena, like but <laughs> yeah, not for yeah. real. Like even we wouldn't have thought they'd do it for real. Like and then I'll never forget. I will. Here's the one thing I do love about Lena. She's committed to her approach. I think it's an idiotic approach, but the idea that she was already in so much trouble. Then she just went to Reddit and blamed the spot. I was like, I can't handle this bit. Like, we don't have to do anything. They just destroy themselves. Like, by the so way, bad. you know, if so CSM bad. actually sells out of league and they sell their LCS spot, we are going to have a victory parade for the Holy oh, War. For sure. A yeah, exactly. Percent, guys, because yes. we will have won. We yes. will have won. Um, exactly. But we already did win. We already we did. did. Spiritually, we already won. But that, that'll just be like the final victory, won't it? Like, that'll be like the end. Essentially, the point is at that point, they are our Carthage and we did completely destroy them. Yeah, I'll, just I'll just burn be, to I'll, ashes. I, I'll, be, I'll be Achilles dragging the corpse of Hector slash TSM around the back of my chariot, circling the city of esports. That, that's what it's going to be. Well, here's the thing, Monty. The one area that wouldn't be applicable is obviously the characters of Reginald and Hector could almost not be further apart. But at the same time, they would also do anything for the right woman. Actually, I'm thinking more of Paris there, but fair enough. I guess technically Hector also did it for his family and duty and all that jazz too. So whatever. I mean, Hector unfortunately got roped into it. He was pretty cool. <laughs> he was pretty cool. He got he got roped into Paris's fuck upery. Um, okay. Well, I, I know you guys want us to probably talk about LPL a little bit as well, but unfortunately I have not seen the LNG OMG games yet because they happened. We are recording this at 8 AM and they happened like 
four hours before that happened and I was sleeping. So I think we're going to have to save a lot of the LPL conversations till next week. Yeah, we'll just do a special one next week. We'll, we'll figure something out. Well, we've got LCK finals, LPL fi- uh, LPL playoffs. We have LCS no, finals. We'll put emphasis on it. We'll obviously talk about yeah, all yeah. the regions. Yeah, good. there's, there's going to be a lot to talk about. Um, and we wanted to dedicate more time on this show uh, to the TSM CLG news because obviously that is breaking. And there may be a Four Horsemen coming about that as well. We are discussing that, seeing if we can get something together there because I think there's a lot deeper conversation about the state of business in esports at the moment that uh, can be elucidated by a few people within the industry. Um, but that'll probably happen next week, I would think. Um, so and anyway. as usual, I'll say the usual joke. If you want to know what we discuss on the Four Horsemen, tune into Hotline League and all the really interesting topics they didn't talk about, that'll be on the Four Horsemen. So. <laughs> that is the That's actually Horsemen. how we structure the show. Exactly. Yeah, we, just, we wait for Travis to go first. We look at what he didn't talk about. Oh, everything great, right? Put that on the docket. There you go. It is in many ways the anti-Hotline League, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and obviously OMG is very exciting in LPL right now. We will get into that uh, also. Uh, so we will get there uh lec also back this week it's a crazy crazy fucking week for league esports i probably won't have time to watch all of the games because it's my son's birthday but hopefully we will get in most of them by the time this goes on tuesday uh we are going to do some viewer questions now guys of course that is let's do a quick break yeah we'll do a quick break and then we're going to go into viewer questions from the uh insight or last free nation rather almost fucked that up last free nation discord if you are a crew member you know how to ask the questions we'll do that after this quick break. As I was rudely cut off there, I will complete the joke that I was going to say so people don't die of suspense. The joke is that even though we railed against people having companies called Team Solomid and then just making it like TSM Corporation, like the joke is that's how you'll know when we've actually sold out, guys. When we sell to the Saudis in like five years, obviously they can't call it Last Free Nation. Just wouldn't really work with their branding, would it? So what they'll do is they'll just rename it to like TSM, T, it'll be LFN LLC or something like, and then you'll know we've truly sold out. And we'll go, what do you mean, last? We'll also just gaslight the fuck out. You're like everyone else was like, last free nation. It was always LFN. I think you'll find like, there you go. That's where you'll know where we've crossed to the dark side. <laughs> okay, so if you guys are supporting us on our Discord, thank you very much. Uh, we're gonna go into our reader questions right now. Uh, name a fictional character for each of the following and explain why. One that made you cry. I don't know if a fictional character has made me. There must be someone in a movie's made you cry. Come on. Oh, sure. You know what I mean? Like movies, especially, are very good at doing that emotion, right? In books, I, mean, I agree, it's harder. Yeah, books are books are a bit harder. I, like, I feel like oh, in a book, by the way, I don't really engage in that same way. Like I'm sort of thinking in my mind a bit. In a movie, I do take it on a bit more full on. I could definitely get emotional from a movie. Look, I, I think definitely what gets me is like actually kids' movies, like the Pixar or the Disney movies. Okay. Those can be those can be what, very like oh, possum. You cry oh, your yeah, eyes yeah, out when yeah, you watch yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like, oh, right. it was an old man and he loved her. Oh, bloody hell, I can't. <laughs> Is that y'all just fucking wailing at you? <laughs> whatever, it's whatever. Here's the thing: I get emotional at movies that I'm in this mo- aspect, Monty. I am very much a caricature. I get emotional exactly the sorts of things in those memes where you know it's like men have no emotions. It's like you know when do they ever cry? You know the one where it's like the fucking stork guy, like. But it's like I get emotional at like Gladiator or something, you know, where it's like oh, he's yeah, so heroic sure. and like he's so right on oh, and he's willing he, to sacrifice. Like, when he's like yeah. dying and it's like oh, life that is shit. there and it's like that hands running yeah, exactly. through the weed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that a great, shit gets that's to a great me. sequence. That gets yeah, to me. Yeah, me too, man. Me too. To me. 
That's you know? good. Or even even moments that are cheesy, like you know, in Spider Man Two, where like fucking they lift him up on that bus, like hey, he's a hero, watch out, careful. Like that that shit gets to me a bit as well. You know, <laughs> that can get that, I like that. that's sentimental in a way that I, I vibe with. You know, <laughs> uh, a fictional character that others love but you hate. I think I've already said this before. It ties into one of my bigger takes that triggers people. One of the reasons I don't give a fuck about Breaking Bad is I never particularly thought the Walter White guy was that awesome. It was just whatever. Like, I don't know why people like that character so much. Like, to me, I even think, spoiler, if you never watched the show, I even think his actual journey wasn't as interesting as it was made out, Monty. Because here's the weird thing about the end of that show. At the end, he sort of does sort of withdraw from that world and try and like end on like a semi-positive note. To me, the whole way the show should have ended is at the end, he is just some Pablo Escobar, full-on motherfucker who's realized something like all of my all of my life was an illusion. My family was nonsense because my wife never really respected me. My kid just, you know, at the end, I thought the conclusion was going to be he just goes full-on like dark side shit whereas like I thought it was actually kind of a bit of a whimper the way that show ended so I, essentially everyone else seems to love the Walter White character I just thought it was whatever man I don't give a fuck not for not bothered there you go not bothered so, so I really hate um certain characters in movies so here's two very like examples from two different eras so I hate the movie Breakfast at Tiffany's because okay. I think Audrey Hepburn's character is a complete fucking psychopath. And she is so emotionally abusive to the men that she's in relationships sure. with. And the men are just falling over themselves. Look, I think Audrey Hepburn does a crazy good job of acting that character. Like, I admire her acting. But the, the like the ending of that movie where the man just falls over in the relationship and just basically capitulates to the constant abuse is just so crazy to me. And then also, here's another one, 500 Days of Summer, when I hate... Oh, the Joseph Gordon-Levitt guy, I'm guessing. I, yeah, I hate Zoe Deschanel's, like, manic pixie dream girl characters. Which is the movie are, she, character she plays in every movie, she you plays know. Plays in every movie. Every movie in it, I don't know. Everything. Where she's just, like, <laughs> so zany and crazy yeah. and fun, but is just actually super emotionally yeah. abusive to everybody around her. Uh, I hate it. I have no idea why people simp over these characters when really being with them is just absolute torture. Oh, I'm um, with you, mate. If people don't know, the, the the character and archetype Zoe Deschanel is trying to channel there is like every fucking idiot that went to an art school, like the girl that you can't get, basically. Like, that's the one you would want. Like, oh, so quirky and weird. and unusual. But, spoiler, when you're an adult, that's just really just, annoying, actually. Just very just really annoying. Just, yeah. like, extremely selfish and abusive. So, I mean, I think think people like love these movies and i have no idea why because they just they I, and it's not that the acting isn't good like i said i think audrey hepburn's amazing in breakfast at tiffany's but the 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 actual content of the story is actually just deeply sad it's not like at the end you're like oh wow this was a great relationship it's like oh man this is a dark dude, ending you know what's this crazy dude, this dude's just in this relationship with this psycho <laughs> you you haven't put two and two together on this but in some ways zoe Deschanel is like the modern day audrey hepburn <laughs> just relative to their eras what the type of yeah. role they're playing because she also was always the cutesy like fucking feminine sort of diminutive sort of female lead in all those movies that's probably what she's most famous for um, all right, next. You love, but others hate. Which characters do you love, but others hate? Ooh, I mean, I've said this before, think. but my favorite character in Game of Thrones is Tywin Lannister. I think he's actually the oh, only... The shit. 
Yeah. Only sane person in that entire world. Everyone else is like actively sabotaging themselves. Here's another one. Others love, but you hate. Um, people love Rob Stark in, in Game of Thrones. And they were sad when he died. I thought Rob Stark was an idiot who didn't know how to do his duty and was like basically forsaking the political alliances that his family needed and not doing his role as a noble because he wanted to chase some like peasant girl ass. Like that is that is fucking shameful. Like he deserved to die. He was a shitty character and he was a shitty person. So there's one that I hate, but others love. And I love, but others say, I thought Tywin was the only reasonable person within the entirety of like the first three seasons of Game of Thrones. Mm, let me think. What's the one I like that other people hate though? Because quite frankly, even though at the end, it, this could be what I could have done for someone that someone loved. Dude, I didn't get the people who it took until the very end of Game of Thrones to dislike the Daenerys Targaryen character like... What? Dude, I was out on her like three seasons in or something. Basically, after the Carl Drogo character died, I thought that character became really annoying and fucking like irrationally written and sort of like had mad plot armor as well. Like you could essentially, they become boring once you know they can't be killed off and they always succeed. You know, that does, that does ruin shows like that. I'm trying to think of one that I actually liked that people didn't like though. Let me think. I mean, all right, if you, if you want to do like a Game of Thrones one, for example, the obvious one's like Littlefinger. Right, Dude, he great. actually was a very interesting character. They actually wasted that one in the show as well. Like, it, like the point with that character, like all Machiavellian actors is, you don't have to agree with what they're doing, but you can marvel at their plans and the way they set people up and the way they feign one thing but then trick you with another or use your worst, your own worst instincts against you. I always have an admiration for characters that are well-written like that because I think it's tricky to write a villain character without just being like, ha-ha, I am evil and I do it because I am evil. Like That's the worst motivation ever for a villain, isn't it? Like You actually need it to be like... Essentially, the best villain is one where you could almost, in a fucked up way, imagine if I'd been through what they did. Maybe I would do an extreme choice or some crazy revenge plot. It's why I always say, even though the comic book characters, I find characters like Magneto super easy to oh, relate to. Awesome. Yeah, because if you if you like think about like some of the movies, if your whole family was killed for some reason or the humanity was against it. You might have a totally radical expression of how you would do that. You might not always just be like, oh, cool, come by on, all that, like fucking Professor X. Like, there would be an angle of like, fuck these guys. And if I had powers like he did, mate. Spoiler, I'd be I'd be bending that spore deck in a foot. No, I went, I went somewhere else, like a pretzel or whatever. You know? Um, uh, There's like seven it's the idea, other... That's what I'd use Magneto right. powers for. I wouldn't like go and do some great shit, buddy. I'd just go to the spore deck during I Am Cavite and ruin the venue or something like the shittest use of the powers of all time. Um, Guys, there's like multiple other questions i'll do for that one that'll do for that one i i will i will do one more from this one there were like seven different of these examples we've now done three we're gonna do four um was rewritten slash character assassination obviously for this one it's all the film versions of the count of monte cristo for me we discussed this on a previous show in the questions about my name like why the the whole theme of the count of monte cristo is that he loved this woman and then he's put in jail because someone else wants to marry her and there's a co conspiracy against him. And he comes out and she's married to his old rival and he he doesn't want her back. Like the part of him that was capable of that love has actually died and that's part of the tragedy. Yet all of the film versions are like, yeah, he should totally get back with her at the end and have a happy ending. Like that's not even the point of anything. Like did you read the fucking book? Like it's constant character assassination against this guy. It's intended to be tragic and there isn't a remedy. The end of the book is him being like, 
well, I guess I've wasted a bunch of time doing this entire like multi like decade long revenge plot. Maybe I'm going to go figure out how to live a normal human life and have, you know, uh, have some sort of internal growth at this point in time instead of just sulking around and trying to get revenge. So I think that's pretty bad character assassination. Just because everyone knows Game of Thrones, I'll pick another Game of Thrones one. The obvious one, if you've read the books, is Stannis Baratheon in the books is a fucking banger character. Because essentially the books, they do make it like they're all more strictly defined and they all represent a different ideology in the world. It's why even one thing that's like a low-key angle people don't pay attention to when they watch the show is a lot of the flavor text in Game of Thrones gives you clues as to how the characters are going to behave. Like, you know, when they all have those mottos to their houses... Go and look how each of them acts when they face a crisis point. They tend to do what the motto of their house traditionally does because it's like the archetypal definition of who they are. So essentially, if people don't know, in the book, Stannis Baratheon is, and he's exactly what you'd imagine like a great military commander is, Monty. Like he knows like when, like he knows on one hand the value of soldiers and men, but you, so you don't throw them away for nothing. But when you have to make the hard decision, you make the hard decision. That might mean some people die in order to take like a position. And Essentially, he's like a really good, he's like essentially like the super hyper, hyper rational male, basically, which is why, in the book they make it very interesting that he's playing with these elements but then he's superstitious with that red witch like ooh there's a different side to him in the show they absolutely ran that couch into the ground and for real just did shit that doesn't make any sense just to sort of like move the show on and so some of the stuff they did if you haven't read the book it's outrageous what they do to that character they absolutely ruined it for my money it was a really good character in the book had way more sort of depth to it who is the biggest, the bigger spineless weasel, Travis Gafford or the guy that gets cucked in the portos? Damn. <laughs> I'm not sure those are compare, those are comparable. I don't see Travis as a cuck. Travis isn't that. even that bad. Like, guys, this is where we are over dramatized. Travis yeah, isn't God. like any evil character in a fucking book or some shit. It's just a guy who's mildly wimpy about some things he should have more balls about, you know? Or, about yeah. And, and the, the thing about it is that Travis does do good things like i appreciate him breaking the csm news and the clg news i just wish he would do things sometimes when he doesn't stand to benefit from it like sometimes could he do something selfless for the good of the industry just watch. like y'all are like Please. right pick from this list who was the most evil genghis khan hitler fucking mussolini <laughs> and then travis gaffer like why are you putting travis in there like, you know what i mean like he shouldn't even be on these lists outrageous <laughs> <laughs> uh, if LFN was to field a low roster with no restraint or budget, what region would you pick? Korea, spoiler. And which players would you field and would Thorin be the coach? <laughs> I think we Thorin, Thorin can be the uh, the emotional leader. Um, yeah, exactly. I'll just do uh, the speech, that's all. <laughs> I Look, I think right now, you, you know, you could field T1's roster with like Viper and you'd, you'd feel pretty good about that. Or Ruler or something, if you want to. Yeah, or Ruler. Yeah. Like, because that's the obvious thing me and Monty would do. Spoiler, if we have unlimited budget, I'll tell you what we're doing right now. We're reversing the Korean exodus. We're taking yeah. scouts coming back. We're bringing yeah. like, fucking ruler back. We'll just make a fucking super team. Why not? Tarzan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> just make a cracked out team of the five best players in Korea. That'd be sick. Yep. Uh, have either of you played instruments as a hobby? After realizing how much time I've wasted on League this year, I've decided to learn violin. It's been very rewarding. Yeah, that probably is a better use of your time than playing League of Legends. Um... I played saxophone for a couple years when I was in school. Uh, I picked up banjo a couple years ago, but I have been very in inconsistent in practicing it recently. I would love to get back to that, and I am hoping to do so eventually. I have almost no musical skills. I did about 
15, 18, 20 years ago, some time period, I'm not even sure what year. I did at one point buy a bass, electric bass, and I had an amp, and for like a year I played it. But I only learned, like, because it's the good thing about the bass, I only learned like very simple, like Ramon songs that are just like the same shit on the same, you can even do them all on the same string if you don't know. They're not super complex. Like, I never got good at the bass. Like, I did yeah. buy it because I was influenced by like fucking. Tim Comerford from Rage Against the Machine and Geddy Lee from Rush and fucking Colin Greenwood from Radiohead, but I could never play any of their songs. I wasn't good enough, so unfortunately, just something I never put any time into. Yeah, I will say, like, I, I do regret not being able to play an instrument. That's something I would like to fix in the coming years. Hopefully, I will have more time. Um, what are the funniest name tags players ever got? Um, do you have any specifically hilarious, funny gamer I mean, ideas? An obvious one, like Nuclear Int, and then be one of the worst mid laners. You just, you do it yourself there, mate. You know what I mean? Even though you end up being good, irrelevant, it's a pretty shit one too. Like essentially any name which just sounds like you, you're garbage. Like you're not really setting yourself up for success, I You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, usually the companies will get rid of the, the really egregious names before they ever hit the pro scene, so. I mean, obviously, Big Fat LP slash Big Fat GG is oh, pretty outrageous. Right. <laughs> Although I always thought the genius of that was that because they didn't know what, like, because they didn't know one of them, he just put the other one in, but it meant the same thing, and they both just meant yep. Big Dick. But they were like, yep. yeah, that's fine, the change. So he just did it. He tricked you again, you fools. Yeah, that was funny, at least. That, that angle was hilarious. I've got to give him that. Uh, do you guys think Faker's GOAT status is somewhat weak due to the circumstances of all those championships won, considering how his season four season went? Okay. Season four, he was being griefed by Piglet, and yeah, and his bot lane was really bad. Oh, it, the team just fell apart completely, yeah. Um, and all of Samsung KT players leaving for a weaker region, yeah, but it got better. I mean, 2015, he still won worlds over all those players that left, right? If you had slotted rookie in his position, could he have not been the GOAT? That's a big argument. I mean, I think the that is a very with that fair discussion. Argument. This is where I do, I actually am general not a fan of that approach, Monty. What I prefer to do to judge if you're the goat is I look at your circumstances. I do judge like how hard was yours compared to the other person. But one thing I don't think is a very good approach because it has a fundamental flaw that I'm going to get into now is that of like, yeah, but what if I had your exact team? Because I'll give you an obvious example. Here's why rookie probably would actually win less championships if he was in Faker's spot because Faker's entire style became like I also sort of shot call and jungle for the jungler and then i do like out rookie styles i'm just the absolute best mid laner you can be so like, it's the same reason why when we do the trophy example people lose their mind like, but if trophy was there monty he wouldn't do all the moves yeah we're just talking about purely if you had to replace a mid laner we know you'd have to reformulate t1 obviously they wouldn't play the way t1 does they wouldn't even have the picks to play that way so i just think it's not a terrible comparison but like to me it's more like essentially if rookie had had an equally good team but that fit him just like fake had one that fit him then who wins the most that's the interesting convo because the reason i think the rookie angle is an interesting one is i actually even think the ig that won worlds was a bit shaky like I've, i don't think rookies ever had a team that was as good as the best faker teams remember if we're talking about the best teams of all time we already did this in the with dom when we did that like Guys, there's a reason why when we ranked all the best Worlds teams ever, like, Rookie's one team on there was IG, and it was quite near the bottom. Like, Fakers yep. were, like, what, three of the top six or seven or something? Like, yeah. he had some pretty cracked-out rosters. He had some very good... But they also fit his style. That's actually why, in some ways, look, when I say I think Rookie's the goal, I just mean in terms of if I, myself, could pick a player that I'm going to play as in league with his skill set, his longevity, maybe I would pick Rookie. But that's a very individual perspective. The thing with Faker is he has had... Just 
just an amazing career, how he's fit himself to lineups, how he's been carried, how he's carried, how, how he can play the utility meta, how he could carry, do like, the carry champions, how he overcame challenges to become on, good on like Azir and majors that you wouldn't think he was good on, but he still remained excellent on the Arby's. That's the thing about Faker is like, he's got a very good case to be the GOAT, obviously, he's got because he's got the complete package, hasn't he? Yeah, but there there is also always an argument about like you know if a player wasn't on the right roster that had the prestige and was capable of building around him. I mean, a lot of the argument for Tom Brady, you know, would Tom Brady have been as good if he didn't have Bill Belichick for twenty years of his career? You know what I mean? Like that's very hard. And and Bill Belichick probably is the greatest coach in the NFL during that time period. Um, and they also had, you know, once they started winning, they became a destination where good players would take worse contracts in order to be on the Patriots. And there was an expectation of winning and a total mindset around that. And the same thing is true of T1. Like T1 is the most prestigious organization in the entire history of esports, And there there's a cachet that comes along with that. And they've always had their pick of amateur players who want to play for their amateur team and players that want to sign long term contracts to them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there has been a lot of advantage, but Faker is still extremely good. Right. I mean, the counterpoint to that is obviously if Faker wasn't so good, T1 would have replaced him, period. They would have had their their pick, and they picked Faker. And remember, time. it's not like there weren't players. Like, there were times when BDD was considered better, and then Chauvy and Rookie. Like, there's times, yeah, you're right, Monty. They obviously could have done it. They could have been ruthless, yeah. Um, which two players in LOL history would you have liked to see him team up but never did? I mean, I've said this in the past because it, here's the thing. It technically happened for one tournament, but not for real. I always wanted Forgiven and Froggen to play together because I always thought their playing styles would merge so well together. You have the fucking mid lane who has the super high floor and mega in team fighting is just going to lead. And then you have the super aggressive ADC who's going to control the... I thought that would have been... I know they only played that one like bullshit EU arses, but that would be a banger lineup. I think that those players would fucking pop off. Yeah, I think who's yours? Smeb and Faker or Score and Faker. Like, Score and Faker would have been particularly good because I think both of them are rather selfless and would have really oh. enabled other parts of the map. I think that would have been really fun to have seen. Uh, what would you consider the different eras of League of Legends? Considering that, I think this is in reference to the fact that we talk about eras of Counter-Strike. I think for me, the first era would have been like the pre- league times when there was a lot more international competition it was a tournament circuit kind of the development days from like 2010 to 2013 um where we saw a lot of movement um, teams between regions and then i think in 2013 we saw like the, the rise of faker and the first faker era that kind of went through 2016 2017 and then there was probably then there was the time like if you, you talk about that like the the all korean era and then there was the start of the the competitiveness of the LPL. Um, and that goes from probably what, like 2018 to 2020, maybe? I don't know. We, what, what do you think? And then we, we're kind of in the, the next era right now. That was the like the neo-Korean renaissance or something, isn't it? Yeah. Ever since Dan won, it's sort of like Korea shifted back to them somewhat. Yeah. So I guess I would consider those like the primary eras. What do you think as the historian? I don't think that's a bad grouping. The other way you can obviously do it is you go by dominant teams. So you had like 
the T1 period. Then you had a second T1 period with a different one. Then you had like essentially like the LPL teams just take turns, depending on who has the best style to win. And then now I would say, the here's the saddest thing. I would say the last few years, look on paper, it should have been the damn one era. They should have got more one, one worlds. They could, dude, they could have had three. That's what's so ridiculous. They probably should have even had more LCKs. So I actually think they somewhat didn't win with as much as they could in that window. And then now, I mean, the interesting thing now is, who the hell could have expected after summer split last year that like T1 would be the best again? And in fact, they look like they could with this lineup, they could do this for years, guys. Like, and yeah. even if you change, you only, you only talk about change one player at a time. You don't have to ever overhaul. So I'm actually interested because I do get the sense, quite frankly, that this should be a continuation of career winning for the next few years. Whoever the best Korean is should probably be number one in the world. Just seems like the way the game's gone the last few years. Do you think having so many teams hurts or helps the LPL as a league? I mean... The Chinese viewers seem to like it. I think it's very good for the Chinese market because they have so many different fans and they're able to play regionally. I think for international viewers, it is very difficult to keep up with it. Yeah, the problem is, I just think if you want to be the guy, no one can do this, but who watches all the matches, yeah, it's, it just makes it too much of a strain and a lot of the games are going to be bad. That's why, for me, it's never been a problem because what I've always liked about the LPL is since I only watch the really good matches, I can just tune in for loads of really good matches and I don't have to watch. No one's making me like Malcolm from Clockwork Orange watch like fucking Thunder Talk versus UP. I don't have to. I can just fucking <laughs> I wait till JDG plays EDG, don't I? <laughs> If you could add one rarely played champ to the pro meta forever and remove one forever, what champs would you pick? But you can't pick Yumi. Obviously, okay. yeah, the Yumi one would ruin it, right? So let's do remove first. I feel like remove's the easier one, right? What champion do you despise, Monty? What what just ruins, generally always just ruins pro play if it's in? What is super boring? I mean, I feel um, like in your vein, wouldn't like Aphelios be on the table at least? Yeah, I mean, I don't like Aphelios at all. I think he's really stupid. So I'd probably take out Aphelios. Um, I would say the one I would add is probably, this is going to sound, this is a very Monty answer, probably Ivern. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's okay, whatever. <laughs> no, because I think it changes the way the game is played it's a like, lot. Pretty it's your idea of a jungler for sure. Yes. Um, I would also maybe add Blitzcrank. Because I think Blitzcrank is hilarious. Oh, it's mega, and, yeah. Like when Blitzcrank is played professionally, it's basically always exciting. Like going back to Mad Life, now we see Lehens using it in LCK. Blitz is like fucking sick. Oh, I can't lie. It, part of it is insanely biased to Mad Life. But dude, you just get like it's almost like you get the goosebumps even when they oh, lock yeah. Blitzcrank in. Even when you know it's a bad, it's probably not the right oh, yeah. one for this car. You know it could be huge, yeah. Yeah, there's just that feeling of like, but what if but what if he lands the grab? What if he lands it? Because <laughs> that was so exciting back in the day, wasn't yeah, it? I mean, Blitz is meta right now too, so it's fun. It is fun. Uh, let me think. Who do I want to remove? You know what's funny? Because it obviously ties into the theme, but by pure coincidence, even though it came in at the same time as the Phoenix, I also despise Senna. I just hate that. I hate to play against that champion. I hate it in pro play. I hate the way it like, can go across the whole map when it's over. I hate everything about that. I actually think that's that's one of the ones where it's only because of Felios Yumi and all the rest of that shit exists in Botland and Zeri that people forgot like what absolute trash the center design was. Like, I think The only time it was ever acceptable was those like weird fasting center. That's what was a cool angle. That was a way to make it viable. I thought when it was like the main ADC champion was fucking, that was a shit era of League of Legends. <laughs> that was terrible, that period. I I would also I would also take out Corky because I think Corky's extremely boring. It's very boring, um, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's like the the most boring. I like poke champs generally, but it's the most boring poke champ for sure. 
And another one I would add is actually Rengar. I think Jungle Rengar was really fun when it was meta. Like, Jungle Assassins are great. I love the ult and, like, being invisible and able to hunt people down on the map. Uh, I have very fond memories of Dandy's Rengar. That is that is cool. What would I want to be played more, though? That's the problem. All right, you know what? Even though it's not really my style of champion, I'm not a huge fan of the players that play it, I do think that whenever it's in the meta it really does make for some really exciting oh, yeah. games. Really like, that's going to be the ultimate outplayer champion, as it? Like, if you have the mechanics on that, like, people, you can see it from lead Eclipse if you ever done that. It is amazing the shit you can pull off with that champion, for sure. Like, the skill ceiling is really high. I'm always a fan of that in top lane. Next. The classic Thorn questions of aliens attack Earth and we can only defend ourselves through League of Legends returns. This time, you are tasked with putting together the ultimate team using a one-player-per-region rule. In other words, LEC, LCK, LCS, LPL, and one player from any other region. Probably PCS is what I'm guessing for that one. Oh, yeah, I mean, like, you could, Just you could make an argument for, like, peak Maple or peak yeah. Sword Art. I mean, Sword Art used to be or really Carcer good. or something. They're all yeah. bangers, yeah. Because that's what I feel like we have to do. Since we're doing all five, we should probably do something like take Carcer or fucking Sword Art or something, right? Because let's be real, Carcer was on amazing LPL teams. Like we could, could actually just make a banger lineup. Should we do Carcer as a jungler? Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I think at this point in time, just based on support pool, you probably have to take... Are, are we taking peak players? I guess we'll take players at their peak, regardless of era. Let's make that rule. Let's be real. The support has to be a Korean. That yes. goes without saying, surely. Yeah, it's Come probably on, Mata or yeah. I would say Car I would say Carrier. Carrier now actually. is pretty cracked too. Carrier now is pretty. You can't go wrong with those two choices, basically. I would take Carrier now. I would probably take Ooh LEC. I guess you have to take Caps as the mid laner. Yeah, that one makes sense because uh, here's the thing: we still get an amazing mid laner, even though we're using an LEC player. That's a pretty good one, I think. I have to take peak Caps. Um, so L LCK Carrier, Peak Caps, Carsa. So we have 80 carry. Well, that's easy for LPL. And ooh, where's our top laner though? We have to take an 80 carry from LCS or a oh, top wait. laner from LCS. Uh -oh. Shit, wait. We'll probably have to just take double lift then, don't we? And then I pick a top laner from <laughs> China, I guess, instead, right? And then we have to take, I don't know, like 369 top or, or something like that. Something like that. Or like Peak Zoom or something. Yeah. Sure. One of those players, right? It's the fact that at the end, because of our whack LCSs, we had to take double lift. Like, <laughs> then again, though, I'll tell you what: with this lineup, double lift, you might get out of groups, mate. I feel like with this many well, goats, I like, mean, you might is, actually get out. Of groups. The thing is, is that he's objectively the best choice because he's the yeah. best. He's the best North American player of all time. So you yeah. kind of just have to take him. Any any other player, like who the fuck else are we going to take? Like X Smithy, like Pole Belter. Like it's, it's bad, guys. It's bad yes. out there. <laughs> um. Uh, thoughts on Ricky winning a total of two best of five since 2019 MSI and LPL five. If we count regional playoffs, uh, thoughts on Ricky rookie, sorry, rookie. Oh, rookie, right. Okay. Rookie winning a total of two best of five since 2019 MSI and LPL. Right. What uh, he's doing there, by the way, is what shitheads do. He's doing the Aaron Rodgers thing there. Like, he's only eight and nine in the play. No, he isn't. His team is, you fucking moron. So, spoiler, <laughs> if you actually think Rookie sucks, just tell me which of those splits he sucked in. Rookie might might be the most ELO-held great player I've ever seen. He even has teams. Top did it this year. Where Look, he actually wasn't as sick on top this year as on past teams. But they, they always look good in the regular season and then just inexplicably into the playoffs. So... 
I think that's... I don't even get what the question is. Put in the conclusion, you can't. You obviously think he's overrated, don't you? All I'll say is you don't know League of Legends. Use your eyes and your brain, not the fucking standings. You know? I could do the same thing. By that logic, by the way, Bjergsen's one of the worst LCS players of the last five or six years. Where's all the titles? Where's all the finals? Where's all the semis? It's nonsense, isn't it? All right, Monty, what is your thoughts on Lucky winning two best of fives in how many years? He's still really good. I mean, this is architect of Korean esports based Joe asking the question. So he's just doing this to get a rise. He's a known troll. He's a known okay. troll. Uh, Sadly, that he, is the one area that it does annoy me about a lot of the questions. People have sort of figured out how to make my rants begin, <laughs> and they do just they incept the idea of the rant into my brain. But they do it like they're a, you know they always ask it naively. It's like the masking you might like. But what about a reset? But they just know they're doing it to set you up. Like, <laughs> yeah, that, you got me on that one. Fair enough. Whatever you got me on that one. You can uh, have that one. Lately in LoL and CSGO, there have been a lot of TriCast with pro players. Do I enjoy this? I mean, it depends on the pro player. I frequently enjoy it. Sometimes I don't enjoy it. Um, sometimes like I I've enjoyed it with like Yankos and perks. I think those have been really interesting in terms of their insights, especially into the early game. Some other pro players, maybe not. My problem with that whole topic, because I've seen it for too many years now, man. I said, this used to do this back in Starcraft two when they would like broadcast. I'd basically care about the topic if you guys didn't say every single pro ever was amazing on the cast the first time they go on the cast. You're, you're so feckless because what it shows me is. I just like this player or novelty. Like, even Perks isn't a good caster. He's barely done any casting. Like, yeah, he's got some nice insights. He's going to be a bit cheeky. You wouldn't want to listen to 50 games of it. You want to listen to no. two or three every now and then. That's when it's cool. I did think actually Yankos was uniquely good. He seemed yeah, like Yankos he was mega, but but I will just add in. It's the reason why I knew someone like Kedra would be a good caster. If you're someone like a jungle or a support who actually did was an intelligent player, you're probably the one with the natural skill set best suited to become a color caster. You know, you already think about the game that way. Uh, were season six TSM legit good? Were they a top four contender at Worlds? <laughs> I wouldn't, I don't think anyone actually said they were. I, I think most people were like, if they do well, they could make semis. It was like that. That was like the, that was like the form yeah. guide. But here's the thing they were like, spoiler, you don't win like 17 out of 18 best of threes if you shit, Monty. You've got to be pretty fucking good. Like, sure. and you look at the lineup, like that was one of the better rosters constructed. Like, they could win the lanes. Doublelifting Bjergsen could carry the game. They essentially had MVPs competing against each other in the same team, but for real, Cloud Nine. So, like, yeah, that, I thought that was a pretty good team. That's why actually the season six one is the biggest tragedy, mate. And I will also add in, just because people forget this, <laughs> when you're the number one seed, that is a brutal group draw. You got Samsung, who ended up in the final, and RNG, who was all the best teams in the world. Like, that's my group, and I'm the number one seed. Like, how is this seeding working if I get a worse fucking group? Because that's the and that was the one where the fourth team, remember, the wild card was Splice from Europe, who weren't even a bad team. That's like one of the craziest things. That's a number one seed just getting fucked into a group of death. I, I did, I did, that was the one year. If people don't know, you can go look this up. I actually wrote a column after that defending TSM and just saying, like, to me, that was almost like if you played that Worlds out 10 times, that's the worst outcome. You know what I mean? Like, there's other ones where they get out of groups. Man, they were almost one game. They beat fucking Samsung in a game. They were playing well against RNG. Like, I, I do, that is the one year I do feel sorry. Season seven, fuck them. That group was a joke. They should have easily gone out that one. Season six, I do feel bad for TSM. I think in a normal group, they'd have been in the playoffs at least. I thought it was uh, a good would, team. Would LFN acquiring TSM's LCS slot be the Holy War's ultimate victory? We don't want the LCS slot. <laughs> I mean, I, I would just rather... Unless someone would, wants to fund it through our company oh, with yeah. us paying nothing and we just run the yeah. slot. We do that, of course, yeah. Of course, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I, I obviously we would rebrand to the North or Free Nation, and uh, <laughs> and we would conduct all business over an open, like you know, stream. Basically, I mean, we, we I would I would just let our uh, our our Discord subscribers run the team for the lulls. That's what I would do. It'll be like Twitch plays LCS. We'd do that for you guys. That would be yes. fun. Uh, Bengi is the T1 coach and truly only has to be the personal shield for T1 drafts. Wolf is a wildly popular streamer in Korea and Bang married the goat G-Sun. While we, while we will always clown on them and thank them for being Faker's wards, did they get the last laugh in their retired Dude, did Bang career? actually marry G-Sun? I knew yeah. they were dating. They actually married fair play. I don't, I don't know. Maybe okay. they are. I don't know. But okay. they, they, they've been dating for a long time. All right. Uh, what was the end question though? Did they, they get the did, last laugh in their retired careers? Bengi, Wolf, and Bang. I mean, they had successful careers. It's not like we wish them unhappiness. I'm glad they're doing well afterwards. I think Wolf found also, his true, true calling as a streamer and not as a support player. <laughs> also, one of, yeah, the problem with that question is this, right? You did ask the question as though what actually happened was they were all just amazing. And then Faker just one day was like, get the fuck out. You're all fired. And you know what? I hope you have bad lives. And then they were like, ah, Faker, I succeeded and got an awesome wife though. Didn't I get the last laugh? What last laugh? Surely Faker's like, great job, bang. Yeah, I really appreciate playing with you. And I'm happy you found, you know, marital success. Like, what last laugh? Like, guys, every, believe it or not, every story isn't some like thing where you're like the edge lord. They're like, Haha, I get the last laugh. Like, that's just a character we play on this show where you can have just a satisfied life, too. Not only they, as what he said, they had brilliant careers, they won worlds and everything, and then they just <laughs> had a good life, too. It's, everything sounds yeah, in order to me, you know, fair play. Uh, how does Keria compare to Peak Mata? I mean, he's getting close, man. He looks fucking amazing. Uh, I, I think he's a well-deserved MVP of this split. He's revolutionized the position. I mean, Mata revolutionized the macro game. I think Keria has revolutionized the champion pool. Uh, he's just an insane mechanical player, has insane game sense and vision. Uh, he's crazy good. He is definitely in consideration for one of the best supports, if not the best support of all time. Needs maybe the key he's an international title, though. <laughs> the key thing to me that makes these players not just like great, but like uniquely great is notice both of those players. You cannot actually perfectly mimic the style of the team because you don't have that player. You could do everything else right. You could split them up the same way as Samsung did. You could try and play the, the draft that fucking T1 does. You'll never be able to pull it off like T1 or Samsung did because you don't have matter of carrier. That's the game changer. Like, there's very good players. There's great players. These are, like, there's a reason why these players get called the best in the world from support position. If, yeah. they, if you think it through, guys, that shouldn't even be possible. It should be It should be impossible to be there. That's why, to me, Mad Life, Matter, and Carrier, the cracked out ones in history. They're just too good. They're too good, guys. Is it a certain set of metrics or more of a gut check slash eye test that tells you if a player is washed? I mean, I would say the eye test makes it very apparent if someone is washed. Like, it's probably the easiest aspect to look at. I actually think stats can hide it, team setup can hide it, draft can hide The eye test will tell, like, to me, washed is things like you can't pull off basic combos on your old signature champions. You play your champion that you always used to be really good on, but now it's like you play it's a losing matchup in lane and you don't get any of the advantages or you've, you're forced in the meta. You just can't play a bunch of the meta champions. So you're like picking something that's like mad sauce, but it's your go-to. Like to me, there's so many things you can just see with your eyes when someone's washed. Yeah. I, I think also, you know, we get information behind the scenes too about, 
players and what they're doing on their teams, et cetera, et cetera. So there's often more that informs our opinions that you guys don't necessarily see. What are your takes on Faker receiving offers up to 20 million per year during his free agency? Even if we disregard the esports winter and budget cuts around the world, such a contract would be absolutely insane for a single pro player. Well, I think it depends on how much Faker values his long-term relationship with T1. He certainly has equity within the company, right? And if he thinks that there's going to be more long-term value to T1, it's also like he has enough money for the rest of his life. Does Faker seem like a particular opulent person to you? He probably already has $20 million in the bank account, guys, at least. Like he's not, he he is not motivated by money. He, doesn't, he also doesn't appear to have any hobbies that require money. Like, remember, he yes. actually said, unironically, is a hobby. Stuff like learning English. That reminds me, if people know, I've told this story before, about fantasy, the brood war player. And then when they said, what hobbies do you have? And he said, I don't really have hobbies. I just play brood war. Like, some people are just like that. So the pro what you're not thinking is this. You, as a Westerner, who probably watches bloody Aiden Ross streams or something, you're thinking success would be having the Lambo and the super hot girlfriend. Faker doesn't, doesn't want a Lambo. It would just be in a garage. He's not right. He's not driving it around is he's not fast and furious he put he doesn't seem quite frankly as a player to care about having a relationship while he plays like he seems like one of those guys who's gonna wait till he's retired and then meet someone which by the way in korea does work that society still set up that way so to me I, yeah i don't know what he'd use the money on mate so in this scenario even though to everyone else like put the 20 mil it's like guys he already gets to be on a contender for best team in the world where everyone knows and loves him he's a permanent fixture he has no stress and drama he gets to do anything what we, the joke we joke that he coaches the team that he plays on 10 years later like there's no upside to going anywhere else. I mean, as you've even seen, even if you made like a super team, like one of these JDG lineups, it might not even work. And then you're stuck in China with all that money, but you're on a team where it, it might be a bit scoffed and someone's in, in here. Like I, I, I know why to a fan, it sounds really cool. The idea he goes elsewhere, but it probably wouldn't play out like you hope. And also by the way, 20 million, like, the problem with that deal is this. It's like those valuations of the LCS teams, Monty. Let me know when someone sells one and if it sells for that amount. Because otherwise, the valuation means nothing. I can offer you whatever I want. Like, Monty, there's 500 million. If you don't ever say yes, you never have to test, was I ever going to give you the 500 million? Like, that's the thing. I heard these stories all the time of Steve Arnshirt and LPR. They're offering that. Let's see if someone actually do the deal then. Go on then. Go, pull off the deal. Because why is it? Explain this to me, guys. It can't be faker than no one else. Why is it faker 20 million than the number two is like 6 million? Someone's off about those numbers, isn't it? Like, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, it could just be a rich Chinese guy that wants the prestige, right? Or the hype. Um, there's that possibility. But even so, like, faker's still making like five, six, seven million dollars a year, guys. And like you say, he's not motivated by the things you think. He, like, he, he trades 20 million, but then he has to go to China. He has to give up all of his equity in the team that he yep. has helped build in T1 that could be going for years and years and years in the future. He could have a job for life with them, right? Um, he he can live comfortably in Korea without having to learn Chinese or live in a different environment or live in like the COVID lockdowns of Shanghai. Like, you know, there were a lot of factors that went into this. And it's like, if he likes being Korea, he likes being T1, they're bending over backwards for him. And he doesn't have life goals that require him to have more than the $20 million he already has in the bank. Like at a certain point, money doesn't mean anything. You know what I mean? Like, what the I fuck? mean, here's the joke I would make, Monty. Every time in esports that a massive company like billionaires or some future, what's the first thing every league fan joked on Reddit? They should use that money to buy Faker. What would Faker do with the 20 million? He is Faker. He's already got Faker playing every game. There's nothing right. to spend the opulent money on, like you say. And, and it's it's like, it, you know, Faker, Faker himself 
probably cares more about his legacy and he can build a better legacy off of T1. If, if I was Faker and I was set for life, I would care more about my reputation and yes. being the greatest player of all time and making sure that that legacy is secure than 10 million more dollars. Like that, to me, it would be much more, I would rather die being the goat of League of Legends than die having that, in, you know, somebody else take that away from me, but have 10 million more dollars than I would have anyway. That's me. And I think that's probably Faker too. Yeah, we'll also throw in, if you ever follow sports, it's not that often, actually, that the superstar leaves for the giant money and has as much success as you think they're going to. A lot of times it scuffs the roster, they go to the wrong team. Like, to actually win, there's a reason why the eras in history in sports where people win loads of championships are the time periods where it's like Faker's career. You just stay on one team and they rebuild around uh, you. Uh, yeah, even people who like who who play the money game, like, think about Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett is one of the richest people on earth, Okay. And do you know what Warren Buffett does? He lives in a in the same house he's lived in for 50 years in Omaha fucking Nebraska because for him it's just a game. It's about a high score. The money is the high score in a game. It's not that he actually cares about being rich or lives in a way that makes him more rich. Like he doesn't live like a billionaire. So, it's just about what people cares about. I personally think that Faker's priorities are in the right place. Uh, do you think there should be more bans added to the draft phase in the future? No. We want to still see champions being played. Like, we want to see, I think the appropriate amount of bans are in the game currently. We have 160 champions. You have five bans. We don't need more bans. We've had this conversation. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I will just say, I did absolutely tell all of you fucking marks that going from three bans to five wouldn't ruin the game. In fact, it's actually just made the game better, hasn't it? That's just obvious. Come on, guys. Uh, I think there was a time because, you know, three bans were there from the start of the game till 160, you know, 150 champions. So there was time to add more, but realistically, we're not going to get another hundred champions added to the game at any point in time. It's just too many. So I think this is fine. What is a unique trait a player has that impressed you very much and you'd wish more players to have? That's an interesting question. Well, I've got a, an obvious one that always springs to mind. I have never heard of a player where you ask other teammates and coaches and analysts who are like specialist analysts People don't, genuinely, no one I've ever heard of who played mid lane who seems to have the map understanding of Nuke Dog. I've just heard it from too many people, mate. Like, every team he's in, like, you can't get anyone. Here's the thing. Fans will trash him. You'll never get teammates to do it. You'll never get analysts to do it. Like, if that's one area. Because the reason why coaches go on and on about that, if you're a casual fan, is because that's the nightmare when you join these teams and you become a coach. You get some player that you know is really skilled. You've been watching him for years. And then you're like, oh, shit, he doesn't know how to play anything other than his role. And he sort of only knows the solo queue understanding of his role. When they when you try to, like, coach macro, I've heard it's like fucking Sisyphus's... <laughs> The trial of Sisyphus, mate, is a nightmare. You're just, you're just pushing the same boulder up and then they're losing the game. Like, start from square one. So if you get a mid laner that knows how to do that, it's the dream if you're a coach. It's the fucking dream, boys. Uh, I will say that Score and Faker both have that macro sense and the capability of, like, shot calling the game around their teammates and their win conditions that is very unique uh, as well. All right, last question. LCS is cracking and falling apart. Are there any NA teams you'd think do give good value to their sponsors in LCS? Probably Cloud9 and Team Liquid are number one in those categories, especially Team Liquid has managed to have a lot of long-term deals that they've seen a lot of success with. I think that Cloud9 
um, you know, a lot of the people aren't there anymore, but I think the content they put out around their Puma campaign, spoiler, I was a part of that, uh, was really, really good, like very well produced, um, really exciting. So I think those both Liquid and Cloud9 have done a, a very good job of trying to make value for sponsors. I mean, the obvious one to me is G2. Yeah, sure. G2's for, they basically invented modern branded around sponsors. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think there are some teams that are good at it, but it's just getting harder and harder to do that effectively. Um, mostly because it's hard to get the pro players to participate. By the you way, know? even though I know people did make like the, the problem was there was a discussion on Twitter. If people don't know in the industry recently about like, you know, players don't brand themselves. The problem with that convoy is the people having the convoy are just fucking plebs. So who gives a shit what they think? Like spoiler, just cause you worked for an org and had access to their Twitter account. Doesn't mean, you know, everything about how pro players think and view the world. That's just the sort of nonsense. Everyone in the industry flexes. What I would say is this, the main problem as Monty's saying is the modern day pro player still doesn't understand his play doesn't make enough even to pay his salary. He still thinks, I'm like a sports star. I'm just here to ball, bro. I'm only here at the press conference because I won't get fined. Like, no, your whole business is sponsorship, you moron. The joke is, this might sound fucked up because competitively, I hate this idea. But if Bjergsen was killing it in the branding and the interview, it actually doesn't matter how he plays in the LCS. Like, you're actually doing your job at that point in time. The, the job of a pro player in esports is closer to WWE than it is to sports. You can't just be the guy like Aaron Rodgers. Like, I don't want to answer questions. I'm just balling out, bro. Like, then you're a shit player, even if you're faker. Even faker has to do the media. Everyone does that. Esports is media right now, guys. It just is. I think faker understands having to do the media better than probably most other pro players. And the, the well, it seems very professional, yeah. The, the hilarious irony of it is that he's the player who probably has to do it the least, and he's actually one of the best at it. Oh, he's a banger, yeah. So, lucky to have faker. I think within our esport because he he understands his duty and he is quite selfless as a human. Like put it this way, it's one of the reasons why I always thought double lift repeatedly saying spring split doesn't matter was one of the stupidest things a pro player could ever say. Because if you say that, you're not playing for my team ever, motherfucker. If you don't try and one of the split, why have I even got you here? It's just a market exercise esports like that. That stuff like that was so dumb. It's like that thing. You remember when we ragged on them during the online era when they wanted to just cancel spring split, like. You guys are so dumb. You don't know your own industry. Like, if you gave yeah. the choice to LCS players, dude, the first thing they would do as the king is kill all the golden geese. They'd be like, those yeah. golden geese are making a lot of noise. Kill them all. Get rid of them. But where's all the eggs? Where's all Here's, the bloody eggs at? Like, <laughs> look at, I would say this. You know, the, the, the closest traditional sport to esports is Formula One. Okay. And formula, because it basically is just a video game, like the steering wheels are controllers at this point in time, and you're playing in a car, right? And the Formula One drivers are insanely good at PR. Like, in, like look at Drive to Survive. Look at all the interviews they sit down for. Look at all the content that they're making for the for like the actual racing circuit, like all the social media content they're making. Look at all the interviews they're doing. Um, here's, here's something fun. Before I turned on SI today, um, this morning, I opened up Twitch and recommended to me was Lando Norris, one of the Twitch, one of the F1 drivers. He was streaming to 20,000 people on Twitch where he was sitting oh, in a room e racing, right? No, no. Yeah, he does do that. But what he what he was doing this time was he was just talking about the last race and he was doing basically a VOD review of his own fucking ah, race. Right. And there okay. were 20,000 people watching him and it was great. 
It was really interesting. But they understand the value of this, those F1 drivers. And these guys can do it on a circuit where they are constantly jet lagged, by the way, changing continents every fucking week. He's in the middle of the season right now and he's fucking streaming. Like, I, you know, I don't know what to say. Like, if, if these fucking F1 drivers can do it, they're not being divas about it. Even the best drivers in the world are sitting down to interview for Drive to Survive. And by the way, think about how many hours of interviews all of those drivers are doing week after week after week to get the sound bites that they use on that TV show. It is crazy. And they're all bought into it, right? All of them are bought in. Why can't we have that in esports? The fucking pro players are the worst. That was the last question, unfortunately, but it was a fitting end to the episode. <laughs> That's it. So thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. Goodbye.